This week on Ben and Brand, see a movie. The two hosts discuss Star Wars Episode 8 The Last Jedi. War, huh? Yeah. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Say it again, y'all. War. What is, is it, it good, good for? for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. <laughs> and that we are getting copyrighted by two entities. This that week. was awesome. Come at us. Don't, please. Please, we really this can't is, afford to this. Is, is this, can we argue fair use for that? Probably not. No way we could. Aw, oh, dang Maybe it. Maybe we could say parody, but I literally say the lyrics. Uh, you could have some we'll interpretation see. on your Star Wars. But I literally just said Edwin Starr's lyrics. <laughs> yeah, mine was a vocal kazoo cover, which I think is. I that don't know. might be fair use. Like I said, th- there's no way I can get away with the war one. I have no idea. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Ben and Brand See a Movie. Uh, this week, uh, we've we've had to switch our schedule around a little bit. Yes, uh, we're trying to I'm trying to arrange a time for my brother, and it's looking less and less likely that he will be able to be here in person. So I'm just telling you this now, Ben. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. but uh, I'm I'm thinking that it might be best for us to do it via Zoom, um, and then just have me, you, and Josh here live. Yeah, which isn't preferable, but you know sometimes it just has to work. Yeah, out that way. it'll 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 do. It's good enough for government work, as yeah. they say. Uh, so this week we've we've switched things around, uh, and this week we are going to be uh, tackling the conflict portion of November's family and conflict uh, theme by talking about The Last Jedi. Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Yes. Uh, And for those of you that may not remember uh, from episode, the episode that we did talking about, (laughs) Ben just typed to me, careful with uh, and I knew it. As as I was talking, I was like, I'm saying uh, way too much. (laughs) You may remember from when we talked about episode one with Josh, uh, who was on the podcast yesterday Josh has gone yesterweek since yeah. last dude's episode <laughs> yeah. after yesterweek he's uh, he offended the wrong guy uh, he's, so he's off the air for a little bit <laughs> he's, of time. he's off the air you may remember that Ben he's and I Ben and I to is to last Jedi as Ben and Josh are to episode 1 are we that divided I don't know if we are that divided. I don't know if we will shout at each other quite as much. Yeah, well, that is just Josh and I. Yeah, that's we true. We argue like the placement of one and two, even though our one and twos are probably the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I Listening to you guys argue was pretty fun. I hope that this will be a fun argument because I we, as far as I am aware... I I know how you feel about this movie. Mm-hmm. I know that this is one of your top favorite Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll leave that as the baseline, and yeah, I'll exceed expectations. I hope. <laughs> yeah, and then I I know how I feel about this movie. I am not. Is this your second time watching it? Uh, two or three? Because I know you've probably seen it. at least. At least second, probably third. Okay. Yeah, and the, I mean, I've seen there are plenty I saw it of six scenes. Six times in theater. R- whoa. I saw it six times okay. In theater, yeah. Six times in theaters. Yes, I saw it 
at least two times opening weekend, maybe three. I think two, because I saw it opening night. I saw it with my parents. Oh my god! Day after, or just two days after, I saw it for Christmas. You're the biggest shill I've ever yeah. met. <laughs> I saw it for Christmas, so that's three for sure. Uh, I then saw it with Josh and all my friends again, which was a fourth. And then I saw it uh, on my birthday in January again at IMAX. So I saw it at the very minimum five times in theaters. Holy crap. And I want to say I had a sixth time. I don't remember what that sixth time was. Holy crap. I didn't realize that you had watched it that many times in theaters. I think the most that I've ever seen uh, the same movie in theaters is three times, and that was with uh, Deathly Hollows Part 2. Yeah, for I me... Think. I think Star Wars is the only one that I've ever gone to more than three times in theaters. I saw Force Awakens six or seven times in theaters. Oh my goodness. I saw Last Jedi like five or six. Rise of Skywalker, I think I only saw two times, maybe three. Probably. <laughs> Man, if that's not an indictment on. I think it was only two. Because I always go with my friends and I always go with my mom and sister. Mm-hmm. So at the very minimum, I see most big move studio movies mm-hmm. probably at least twice. That's okay. same with Marvel. It's just like I always end up going with friends, and then I always end up just going with my parents at some point. Right. Okay, that's that's fair. Yeah. And I think even more so now that you are a paid writer, by the way, hello, ben, hello. ben just put out his second article on Highbrow Magazine. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Would you like to give a little synopsis of what this article... I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Yes. I am I, going to. I wrote a movie review for a documentary called How They Got Over, which is an exploration of black musicians, gospel music, and its evolution into rock and roll. Really? So it's an hour and a half documentary. And uh, I wrote a quick piece on it, and you can find it on Highbrow Magazine. And I wrote another piece that will be coming out uh, within the next two weeks. And then at the end of this month, I'll have another piece. I should say I I hope to have another piece if it gets actually bought out. (laughs) But I think it should be fine. And that will be on Daniel Craig's run as James Bond. He's popping off. Um, yeah, so a link to that, the, uh, what was the, what was the movie called again? How They Got Over. How They Got Over. Link to Ben's article on How They Got Over will be in the podcast description if you want to, yeah, a little it's on read. my, it's on my Instagram yeah. as well. Instagram and Twitter, you can find the link. Yeah, uh, before there. we get into Last Jedi, you also mentioned writing about Bond. I had my first theater going experience in a long time. I, since the, since before the pandemic, uh, I went to go see No Time to Die with my dad. Mm-hmm. It, uh, that's kind of our thing, just going to see the Bond movies. And Daniel Craig has been a pretty good Bond. In, He's been in Bond my for the past 16, 17 years. No. Casino Royale is 2005. It's either 2005 or 2006. No way. Yeah. I know he's... Six... This No Time to Die was his sixth and final movie as Bond. Fifth. He did... It's Casino Royale, Casino Royale Quantum, Quantum, Skyfall, Skyfall. Spectre, this one. Wasn't, is there another? No. Okay, okay, it is. No, you're right, it is five. Um, and uh, we saw that, and it was it was quite good. I'm not going to spoil anything, but it was, a, it was a nice end to Daniel Craig's stint as James Bond. Uh, Ana de Armas is in it, and seeing Ana de Armas in this movie, she's great in Knives Out, which is also starring Daniel Craig. And then just seeing her in this movie, like, 
re like established her as a Hollywood crush yeah. in my head. She's she's, she's up there. Yeah, she's, she's up such there with a good actress. She's up there with Karen Gillan. Yeah, for me, which, which we were talking about before this started. But yeah, it was a really cool experience. We got the popcorn. We got the the cookie dough bites for like four dollars. Cookie dough bites. Which theater has that? They're the it's it's like a box candy like raisin. Oh, okay, okay. I, I, I saw like it and I was like, ooh, cookie dough bites. Got it. Okay. Uh, worst movie theater candy is Boston Baked Beans. Best is probably either Bunch of Crunch or those cookie dough bites. I never get candy at the movie theaters. Yeah, it's at expensive. most time, I'll get red vines if I'm really feeling it. But that's at most. Yeah. I, I always get I always get popcorn. Yeah. I get ice and icy. Yeah. And then if I'm... Feeling a little bit more willing to spend money, then I'll get pretzel bites with nacho cheese. There you go. Yeah. Oh, speaking of pretzel bites, they had a bunch of stuff on the menu. Yeah. At the snack bar. Like, they had like wings, and I'm pretty sure there was a burger up there. And, like, yeah, they a full throw on more on pretzel. there now. Yeah. And then the seats were really nice. They had like the tray tables and like full leather recliners mm. with adjustable seats. It was a Century Theater in. Uh, Ringback or Arden? Uh, Greenback? Question mark. Greenback's the one. I, I'm pointing yeah, to my Greenback. right. From yeah, where you are. okay. <laughs> I think Greenback. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a nice, nice theater. It was cool to be back in, back in the theater watching a movie like that. Yeah. Uh, I'll was, be seeing that movie most likely this weekend. No time I, to I have a time. I have the option to rent it now mm-hmm. on just my computer yeah so i might do that out of just pure laziness but i would prefer <laughs> to see it in theaters but i know right. i am seeing last night in soho this oh, weekend mm-hmm. the edgar wright yeah directed one and see this is where it's just like ah, do i really want to go out to the theater three times because i got exclusive uh tickets for the imax screening of ghostbusters afterlife Re- oh yeah so i got three tickets for my mom sister and i and i'm going Oh, you! I'm right jealous. In. Yeah, no, I'm really excited because this is the one where they have the live Q&A with the director and cast after. No, it's not like they're going to be there, but they're right. zooming in from L.A. So it's... That's it's, dope. Yeah. So oh, that's so uh, cool. They're screening, I think, in like 18 theaters across the U.S. What? So they so happen to be doing one in Sacramento. That's and I awesome. I was able to get the advanced tickets for it. That's awesome. So I'm going next Friday, which like I said, so with that last wow, night, we. it's just like that's already two movies. Yeah. It's like, do I just want to go out and see a third one this week or do I even have the time? Yeah. So I'll have to check it out. But go- I, I, think- I am going to, I have to see it for my review. Yeah. I think Ghostbusters Afterlife is the next one that I'm like really excited to see because it looks awesome and it looks like it really respects Yeah. And the stars original. the sexiest man in the world. Paul Rudd. Yeah, Paul Rudd. Rudd. Congratulations to you, Paul Rudd, if you listen. It's great because it shows that, like, you and I now are closer to the sexiest (laughs) man than when, like, Brad Pitt was. Or or Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. Especially Michael B. Jordan. But, like, you know. For multiple reasons. Paul Rudd is, like, closer to, like, I feel like does what we do. Yeah. More than, like, Brad Pitt does. Yes. Or George Clooney. (laughs) Like, he seems way more obtainable future for you and I. Yeah, us ever being a George Clooney type. I'm. I think I'm the closest to him in personality, as opposed to like a George Clooney or a Brad Pitt. Agreed. Yeah, this is like he's this kind is of the a, one we can make. Yeah, he's kind of a he's kind of a dork. There's some good it. ones on this list. I don't like actually pay that much attention mm-hmm. to people's sexies just because I don't subscribe yeah, do to people. I, yeah. But sometimes I see who's in it. Kamel Nanjiani made the list this year. 
Uh, Kamel Nanjiani from The Big Sick, and he's in The Eternals. Oh, week. okay. And from Silicon Valley. He made it. That was a really cool I, I know the name. I, I, I don't want to say uh, Colin Jost makes again. He's hmm. one of the sexiest joke tellers, which that's been his title for a few that's, years. Uh, that's a good one. He's a good looking guy. I, I remember um, uh, it's Colin and... Michael Che. Yeah, Michael Che. I remember seeing like a polygraph thing with, oh, with Che and Joe. It's one of the funniest things. And Che polygraph. is like, "Are you the are you the handsomest man on on SNL or something yeah. like that?" And Colin's like, "Uh." <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's a bunch of those awesome. where it's just like I, Colin Jost and Michael Che. Chris Evans, of course, makes the made oh, the list. Oh, naturally, Chris Evans easily makes the conversation naturally and then i know who ryan Reynolds, of course obviously oh also. yeah and i think ryan reynolds is another one that i i feel most relatable one of the ones that's most relatable made it as well as taika taika with tt yeah way Which to is, go taika that's you awesome look at him you actually like i get it there's a handsome he's a, yeah he's a, a good, good looking, looking dude i love taika we're yeah. gonna get into more taika stuff yeah i just love taika Yes. Okay. I without. Oh, with, that has to be another one. I would be shocked if I, Oscar Isaac. Oh was yeah, Oscar Isaac's got to be on there. Oscar on, Isaac's. Honestly, good. I think I just looked down at my Star Wars Last Jedi mm-hmm. stuff and I saw Oscar Isaac. I'm like, how is Daddy not on that? <laughs> Daddy, I uh, I'd really I'd really vie for Tim Morrison, uh, Boba Fett himself. Oh, but t- uh, not th- that's not his name. It's t- it's Tim Tim Uera. Oh yeah, Tem. Yeah. I think he goes tomorrow. by Tem. Tomorrow, isn't it? Is it know. pronounced tomorrow? I think so. It's something like that. If tomorrow. it is, that's awesome. I, I don't remember. I know I've seen it in interviews. Yeah. I just don't remember how to. Ah, uh, okay. That would he would be an awesome. My uncle met him. Did he? Yeah, he took a picture with him, but he like had a full on conversation with my uncle's been an extra in. Uh, oh, you, you were talking in a couple that like he had a con- he like bumped into Tom Holland one time and Tom Holland was. Evidently pretty cool. Yeah, I'd be... But, oh, I can't wait for that show, Book of Boba Fett. Oh, uh, yeah, it looks awesome. Okay. Yeah, let's get into now it. That we've, now that we've circled all the way back around... Oh, sorry. One real quick thing before we even jump into this. Sorry. <laughs> okay, go for it. <laughs> you saw Disney Plus Days happening tomorrow? No. Disney Plus Days happening? Oh, yeah, a whole bunch of stuff is... Did com- you see the Obi-Wan Kenobi artwork? Oh, show me now. Yeah, I'll show you live on air, which is great for our audio listeners. Yes, uh, but uh, as you're pulling that no, up, a couple it, other things are coming out to a couple other things are coming out to general audiences on Disney Plus. Uh, Shang Chi is coming out, Shang-Chi and I never got a, never it's got a chance dope. to see it. This movie's so. That's dope. what I've heard, and I really want to see it. It looks awesome. I love the. I mean, the fact that it's a, a person of color and mm-hmm. the in a main role, and that it's as good. I've heard people saying that it's, it's as good as Iron Man, it's the first dope. one. It's one of the best origins. And I, I mean, the first Iron Man is such great storytelling, such a cool, satisfying arc. Okay, I'll show you the best one. I'll show you the two best ones. Oh, so that's Ewan McGregor, there obviously. He is. That's a handsome man, too. And then too. let me show you the last one that will get you hyped for our Star Wars talk. This is official concept art. Yo. Darth oh. Vader dueling Obi-Wan Kenobi on what appears to be a fiery planet. Oh. That is amazing concept art. Holy I, crap. I would be shocked out of my mind if we don't get to see Ewan McGregor tomorrow oh. in costume at the very least. Like, I don't know if we get the trailer. Oh. But I think it's going to be the first time we're going to get to see Obi-Wan Kenobi again by Ewan McGregor. I'm really excited. I I, I don't know how any Star Wars fan wouldn't be like, 
the most excited to see this in the world. Well, if it were directed by Ryan Johnson, I'd okay, have a so we're in it. <laughs> so we're in I figured that was a good hard way to get into The so Last we're, Jedi, what we we're here for. And I'll do the movie breakdown. Yeah. The movie historian. Uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi comes out December 15th, 2017, directed by Ryan Johnson, written by Ryan Johnson, produced by Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams. It is the eighth installment in the Star Wars franchise starring Mark Hamill, Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Kelly Marie Tran. And this film is sometimes the best way to just kickstart the conversation of Star Wars or just break it down is how they do it themselves, the open and crawl. So I'm just going to read the opening crawl verbatim. Do you want me to do the my kazoo no, cover? No, please do not. <laughs> The First Order reigns. Having decimated the peaceful Republic, Supreme Leader Snoke now deploys his merciless legions to seize military control of the galaxy. Only General Leia Organa's band of resistance fighters stand against the rising tyranny, certain that Jedi Master Luke Skywalker will return and restore a spark of hope to the fight. But the resistance has been exposed. As the First Order speeds towards the rebel base, the brave heroes mount a desperate escape. That's the opening crawl and obviously this takes place right it's the second of this new trilogy mm -hmm. the first one being the force awakens directed by jj which of course leaves that film with ray handing the lightsaber to luke skywalker on octu and that's where this film picks up two years mm -hmm. later is that what the planet is called octu, octu. that's cool yeah that's a cool name but so that's where we're in it and uh do i even Bother? Yes, I will share my Hill to Die on now. I was wondering if I just save it a little bit into our talk, but I'll do it now. Do it. My Hill to Die on is The Last Jedi is the most competent made Disney movie uh, done by Star Wars, by far. It is probably the best thing that... Well, the most competent Star Wars movie done by Disney. Done by okay. Disney. It is probably the best Star Wars item to come out of the Star Wars universe since 1980s Empire Strike Backs. The only exception you can maybe make is The Mandalorian. I can, wow. That is my hill to die on. Wow, okay, this may- I truly believe it. This may be more heated than I initially thought. You're saying that this is the best piece of Star Wars media, aside from The Mandalorian, the best piece of Star Wars media since the 1980s? Let me clarify, Mandalorian season two. Okay, so you're- Forgetting about... All the prequels, Return of the Jedi is the only one that, to me, makes that case. So if you wanted to change that Clone here, Wars? 100% better than Clone Wars. Oh my god. 100% better than Rebels. It is the only... If you wanted to change my hill and make it to 1983 to kick it to Return of the Jedi, I'd be willing to have that conversation. I think Return of the Jedi is a better movie, probably than The Last Jedi, but to me, it's really close. My issue, of course, I've said it with Return of the Jedi, is while the last hour is awesome, there's kind of this first hour that just feels like they need to rescue Harrison Ford out of, oh, he's back from his uh, contract disagreement. That's to wow. me, that's the first hour of Return of the Jedi is like, oh crap, we froze off Harrison Ford in case he decides not to come back. But he's decided to come back, so now we have to like <laughs> get him out of that. So that's my kind of issue with Return of the Jedi is the first 45 minutes are just kind of like, okay, well, it is cool to see like the Java's palace scene. It is so disconnected from the story of Darth Vader, Emperor Palpatine of what is Empire Strikes Back. 
So that would be my only fault, and that's why I would say maybe Last Jedi is from top to bottom a little bit more tied I, in. I, I'm honestly stunned. I'm going to take a second to close up the guinea pig cage because I hear them chittering, uh, but I'm going to be right, we'll, we'll be right back. Okay, and we're back. I've covered the guinea pigs, and I've had a second to process Ben's hill to die on. Uh, all right, here. <laughs> Before I share my hill to die on, I feel like it would be we would be remiss if we didn't mention the treatment of the cast and good reception. Good point. I, I wanted to bring that up too. Yes. That's a good point. So, I, for starters, yeah. the cast, the cast especially, um, has been unfairly reamed by. Twitter users and the media, yeah, and uh, especially Kelly Marie Tran and Reddit users specifically, and Reddit users. Really, anybody with a keyboard who can type anonymously, yeah, YouTube comments. That is that is extremely not cool, she and they is didn't the deserve this person ever. It yeah, like I, Kelly Marie Tran looks. It seems like a really awesome person. It sucks that she went from a UCSB alum working at like Second City doing improv and all this to like yeah. getting her dream job, and right. like. She just gets obliterated. Right. And like, it's honestly it's a lot of, and a lot of it is not really her fault. It's None actually it it's not her fault she at all. She gives as good of a performance as her character is written in this movie. Yes. The she, the script that she was given did not do her justice. And I will argue that there are a couple other characters who get scripts that do yes. not do them justice. And I also want to just Ryan Johnson went through the hell and back with after this film was released where even up to knives out you was still seeing it on his twitter comments cancel mm-hmm. uh ryan not cancel ryan johnson but just like cancel ryan johnson sequel trilogy just like uh, you mm-hmm. suck blah 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 unfair treatment to a guy who's a very talented filmmaker yeah and i i really like knives out i think he did a great job directing it i love the whole cast i love the whole story of knives out one of my main arguments and one of my hills to die on is that Ryan Johnson is not the director that Star Wars needed. Uh, but I just want to finish this little starter thing. Um, I, like I said, I think most of the, the cast, for the most part, if not the entirety, is excellent. They all seem like really cool people. They all seem passionate about Star Wars, especially John Boyega. I want to meet that dude. He seems like a really awesome. Yeah, JJ guy. did him so dirty. Yeah, I did. Episode he, nine, it's so dirty. He got he got did dirty quite a bit. Uh, this one were, gets a little bit, but not as bad as episode. Yeah, there there are just a lot of. Well, I'll get into that part. Uh, so here's my here's my hill to die on. Last Jedi is a disappointing follow up by people who don't understand Star Wars, and I argue <sighs> that you could say people who don't understand Star Wars for this entire sequel trilogy. Uh, and it is the least, to me, the least Star Wars-esque main series movie where even, and in this movie, even common praises that people give it are misguided, and I will go through some of those you're, praises you're, that people give you're it. You're insane. You're this insane. This is literally... Oh this my is God, the okay. most heated that I think that we've ever disagreed on We're something. We're so vehemently disagreement because my uh, getting into it, is I think that way about largely JJ. I think Force Awakens is a really good introduction to a trilogy, and as kickstarting it, it works. But you see his sensibilities a little bit in Force Awakens 
uh, being a little bit too rehashing and just like kind of going for the nostalgia beats. Mm-hmm. And specifically in episode nine, you see it too at nauseum. Where Ryan Johnson... I still haven't does, seen episode 9. You're going to have to see it, but... I know I But am. it's not good. Yeah. But th- what episode 8 does to me so brilliantly is how it turns the franchise in a completely new and interesting directions that, while still respecting what is Star Wars. But we'll get into that. I, w- I will agree with you on the first part of that, is that it does take it in a new direction. It's just disappointing to me that that new direction kind of ignores a lot of the setup that had been created in the force awakens and doesn't do a lot with its characters and i think this is a i think this is a symptom of the entire sequel trilogy it's trying too hard to be marvel which is something that i heard a user is, on youtube named robot I will head agree say with you in this film is this one uh, Rise of Skywalker has it really bad the, too, but Episode Eight has some Marvel esque moments. The the comedy in this movie is extremely overbearing. It is sometimes too overbearing yeah, at times. Sometimes sometimes it's great, just a little joke, pepper it in there. It's pretty good. Other times it's just like this is not. This There's is three not jokes Star- in particular yeah. that I can think of that we'll get into mm-hmm. that I see, but. This is, I get that criticism. I am not saying this movie is a perfect movie by any mm-hmm. standards. I just think what it does well, it does so excellently well. And what it does poorly just don't have as much resonance to the overall story that it doesn't bother me. Okay. And we'll get into this, but let's just start with, again, that opening crawl of the idea of where we see this film mm-hmm. kicked off. And what I love from the get-go is Ryan Johnson has all of these characters up against the ring from the very start of the movie. They are on the hunt from the beginning. They do never they never have the upper hand in this movie, the mm-hmm. resistance. It is straight up we get there, they're on the planet from Force Awakens, their base, and they have to evacuate cuz the uh, first order is chasing right after them. From the mm-hmm. beginning it is punch after punch. They are it is like the Rocky Apollo Creed fight and Apollo Creed is in the round where he's just throwing Rocky back and forth. He can't get an upper hand on him. Mm-hmm. So that's what I love just the get-go of this movie. It's just the pacing right from the back. This is in the exact opposite way of the prequels where a lot of people's criticism for the prequel films is it's too much standing and talking and not mm-hmm. enough action. This film puts you right in the war part of Star Wars right the, from the beginning and it never lets go. Okay. Counterpoint. This opening scene, while a really awesome stage for the Resistance base getting blown up by the uh, Dreadnought, the Dreadnought Dreadnought ship with like the orbital ion bombardment cannons or whatever, it's a really awesome setup, and I like Poe being sent out. It's an interesting, like, okay, what's going to happen? I hate his dialogue delivery a lot. One of my favorite jokes in the movie. he, He... Gets Admiral Hux with a freaking your mama joke. That's the only joke that goes a little too far for me, but the whole Doesn't. rest of it where he's like holding for General Hux, that, all that, that's funny. fine. That's it's fine. The, your it mama matches. joke is the one that's just too far. Yeah, that's that's one of the jokes that I was like a little overbearing, but I will let it slide. Uh, and then the action actually starts. So 
before I get into before we get into the resistance bombers and such, which I have a lot to say about specifically, we have seen a lot of battles in Star Wars. Mm. And in every single space battle, except for the the droid control ship in episode one, that battle is boring. One of the one of the worst space battles, I would contend, in Star Wars. But uh, in, I mean, we see the battle on Geonosis, which isn't a space battle. Fair, it's atmospheric. But the the battle on Geonosis when the gunships come in. The battle at the beginning of Episode Three with Obi Wan and Anakin in their Jedi starfighters flying through this mess of droid sh- or of Separatist ships and Republic capital ships. Uh, every battle between the Death Star and the Star Destroyers and the Rebel fleets in Episodes Four, Five, and Six. Mm. Everything has so much dimension because it's in space. There are there. It's it is literally a fight in 3D. Ships are maneuvering. They're flying on different planes. They're like planes of like reality, not Mm. like yeah, yeah, not like airplanes. And it's it's so kinetic, and there are so many neat camera angles that really add to the flow. It feels like you're flying along with them. Revenge of the Sith, for all the the problems that it has, some of the coolest action in Star Wars, especially if you're talking about Jedi Jedi battles, the space battle is awesome. It's so it's so dense. There's so much going on, mm-hmm. but you can still track exactly where it's going. Mm-hmm. Now, in Episode Eight. We have yet another battle in space, and Poe is having a grand old time. I really like the booster that they put on his X-Wing, kind yeah. of a cool little gadget. Uh, he's taking out all the surface guns on the on the on dreadnought. The, on the dreadnought, yeah. And then... He's basically clearing the way that, that way when the resistance bombers can go, they don't have yes. to worry about being shot down. Yes. Uh, and then the resistance bombers... Here's here's where this this starts to get annoying for me. The resistance bombers are extremely poorly designed ships, not only from an in-universe perspective, but also as far as their concept. Mm-hmm. We've seen bombers. Uh, we have seen bomb. I know exactly what you're going to say. Yeah, I, he's turning uh, pages in his um, visual dictionary. In his visual dictionary. Yeah, we've seen bombers that are really effective in Star Wars. The Y-wing, you know, or the I can't remember what the the preceding version of it was that was used by the Republic, mm-hmm. but it's used to destroy the uh, the malevolence mm-hmm. in Clone Wars. They use proton torpedoes, and they use them effectively. They have a small attack surface. They they fly in formation, but they are they're quick. They're maneuverable. It there are actual stakes because they're moving around, and there are ships there are ships trying to attack them. Mm-hmm. The resistance bombers move extremely slow, even though they have a light. They have a hyperdrive. Yeah. Uh, the 
the payload delivery system on them doesn't make sense. And I've seen a lot of people argue that, oh, the the reason that those bomb for those of you who haven't seen the movie, for those of you who have seen the movie, have seen the movie, you know. But for those of you that haven't, basically these space bombers work in the same way that a B-17 works mm. in real life, like in World War II. It's a plane and they drop bombs on ground targets. Yeah. Two things wrong with that. Number one, we're in space. They're magnetic. Yeah, they're magnetic. Maybe there's a magnetic rail launch system. That still that still is not that doesn't track with the how Star Wars should progress as far as technology. We've seen proton torpedoes used effectively. There there's less of a footprint. They're less likely to cause catastrophic damage. If your resistance bomber can get destroyed by half a Tie Fighter and then two other resistance bombers get destroyed because they're in such tight formation from collateral. That's poor. That's poor design. They have a huge attack surface. It's basically like a building flying in space. And maybe they are magnetic, and maybe they can get, uh, you know, railgunned out. Whatever. But they have to be directly above the target. If you're in space and your target is a spaceship mm. with a hyperdrive. It, they, I don't know why they do this. It's for plot reasons. The Dreadnought could have just moved up, down, left, right. It has multiple axes to move, but everything is so one-dimensional in this fight, and the single bomber that does manage to drop its payload on the Dreadnought mm. and destroy it, even if it hadn't been extremely crippled and was going to die anyway the explosion from dropping all of its bombs would have engulfed the bomber. Mm. So a a World War II B-17-style bomber doesn't work in space. It just, it just doesn't work for me. Counterpoint. This is a bad plan because Leia says it's a bad plan, right? We don't actually know that these resistance bombers are supposed to be used in space. For all we know, they are supposed to be used on a planet because we know ships can go on a planet. Poe is using them in an irresponsible way, as Leia points out. Like, we can't lose our bombers now. Is it ever said that the bombers are specifically for atmospheric? But, I mean, we don't know. But I'm saying a ship... Th this seems more... You're right. This seems more like an atmospheric weapon, right? Mm -hmm. like, right. We are using them in a space battle. So I can't really argue the fact that, yes, once you start breaking it down logistically it doesn't make sense this is one of those issues where it's just visual style over substance i guess right where it's just truly like does something look cool and is an interesting enough design that we haven't seen in star wars that casual audiences mm -hmm. aren't going to think too much about it yeah this is probably they, the surface they, level of yes yeah they are kind of neat looking ships but they're just not practical for what they're used in and since we don't know if they're atmospheric bombers or not the question it's isn't a, even raised, so we're just meant to assume that there's space. It is a fair assumption to... Uh, not a fair assumption. It is fair to say that this would be a possible flaw in oh. this film, in the sense of their design. I okay. can't particularly argue against it. It is just simply, I don't care, because I think what you were talking about where you felt like this space battle 
doesn't have like kind of the proper weight to it. Mm-hmm. What I like about this space battle is it's very interconnected in the sense that it's kind of feels like the most battlefield we get in a Star Wars movie where it's just simply like this small section of space where this small little battle is happening. Mm-hmm. So you see it is the tactical you see the tactical things that they are doing to get the one up hand on each other instead of this grandiose scale. This is like this is happening at one point. This is happening. This is why they're doing this maneuver so this can lead to that. I like that Ryan Johnson puts that in it because to me it makes those this battle feel a little bit more personal and the stakes are more raised. Stakes are really good when you have a group of centralized people in danger, not when it's a Death Star force blowing up planets because you kind of lose the mass scale of it, right? Like yeah. when five planets get destroyed in Force Awakens, it has an emotional weight to it, but probably mm-hmm. largely due to that John Williams score. And mm-hmm. you understand the, what five planets being destroyed is. Yeah. But in this, the danger feels more prevalent because mm-hmm. you see how the First Order is taking them down tactically. That's what I like that Ryan Johnson does from this start is it feels everything feels done with a purpose. There is nothing I would even challenge you that there is nothing that Ryan Johnson does in this movie that doesn't feel expertly crafted, even if you don't like the way he does it. I have a counterpoint later for that. Okay. Uh, we've already spent like 10 minutes on just the bombers. This is like the first 10 minutes. Um, but my last thing that I'll say, at least, uh, if it was a bad plan because Leia deemed it so and they were atmospheric, why did the bombers still get mobilized even after she told Poe not to mobilize them? I th- Listen, I can't particularly defend this part. It is simply a part that I just accept because I think it looks good. Mm. Uh, okay, so I'll but, take the W on that. Yeah, you can take that one because I'm going to be taking it the rest of the movie. Because, I, I am not. I am not going to assume anyone gets the W or yeah. the L. Viewers, you can judge for yourselves. You you hear both of our. This is we're not telling you what to think. Mm. We are telling you what we think, and we want you to form your own opinions. Mm-hmm. That's been the sentiment from the get go. Yes, I. What I love so much about this movie, and it starts really quick is this idea that this film deals with the consequences of war and the archetypes that we see in wartime. For instance, Han Solo's the reckless you know, pilot basically doing the crazy things to get the job done and taking all the risks. Poe Dameron is very much that in a performative way, right? Mm-hmm. You could almost call it performative heroism, where it is like... He can't stand the idea of kind of just standing still and not being in the middle of the fight. He has to take these risks and uh, these chances, basically, to win war, which is the whole point Leia's telling him. She's Mm -hmm. telling him, you can't take this risk. You can't just deplete our bomb squad because you wanted to take a dreadnought. We need to survive tomorrow and losing our bomb squad today as the victory is today, that screws us for the next day, which is the whole lesson that Poe is... Poe is essentially, what Ryan Johnson is doing with it is it, Poe's arc is essentially he has to learn to be, go from the reckless pilot to the leader. One of my favorite lines that I would assume is improvised by Carrie Fisher because she uh, did a lot of her own dialogue in this movie. She wrote a lot of her own dialogue is where she says, get your head out of your cockpit, Mm Poe. One, 
It's a good that's, joke. That's that fits very right on. in the tail of Star Wars. Now, okay, uh, see, now that's an interesting thing that I didn't know. That Carrie Fisher wrote a lot of her own dialogue. Yes, Carrie I Fisher really, is notorious for uh, in the Star Wars for writing a lot of her own dialogue because she likes how she words stuff. I really like that, and I like how she words stuff too, and I like that because. Carrie Fisher knows Leia best, mm-hmm. I think. So all of her lines, I actually have no issues with, Le- well, one minor issue, but it's kind of become a non-issue for me. I It's easily explainable, mm-hmm. I guess, and I'm sure that you can guess what it is. Yeah, I know exactly where you're going. Um, but it, I like Leia a lot in this movie because she seems like she is true to her character. Mm-hmm. Leia is consistent. Yes. Luke, on the other hand... Okay, this is where we're going to go in full disagreement. One last thing before we jump to Luke, because I think that's the next natural progression. Yeah, we can't not. I think what becomes so clear after a few viewings is the first time you watch this movie, you're probably more on Poe Dameron's side in the beginning, where he's taking down the dreadnoughts. It's great to see the dreadnoughts go mm-hmm. down. It seems like a great victory mm-hmm. for the Resistance. That's and, and his logic makes sense. Like, yeah. this thing's a fleet killer. If yeah, we, we have the to chance take... to take it out, let's take it out. Yeah, where Leia's completely against this plan. Yeah. Because, one, she knows that attitude. She's lived with Han. She's been married to Han all of her life. Like, she understands this recklessness mm-hmm. and how that recklessness the consequences of that are. What I specifically like that what they're doing with Poe is when you see this movie the first time, I think you side more with Poe in the sense of that scene. Mm -hmm. You see it again and you realize how bad of a plan it is. Like you really understand like taking down the dreadnoughts, how bad of a plan it is and depleting their troops basically Mm -hmm. for a battle where they take down dreadnought, but ultimately that's not the bigger picture. Like that is a small battle in a much larger war, and they've now depleted way too much of their resources taking down this item. Mm -hmm. When they're simply, at that time, their goal is to escape. Mm -hmm. He's going for the offensive when they need to be playing defense at that moment. I like that, but let's get into Luke. All right. You can go ahead and start. Okay, I unequivocally think Mark Hamill gives the best performance of his life as Luke Skywalker in this movie. Now, that does not mean you don't necessarily can agree on the way his character is portrayed in this movie but in terms of just acting performance it's hard to say mark hamill has never been better than in this movie i truly think that i literally think from his acting standpoint from scene to scene the energy he brings into luke and the befuddledness and just the cynicism and all that, I think it's a really interesting deconstruction of a character that we have now known for 40 plus years. And to do it the way he does it, I think even if you have criticisms of the movie, which I know you do, it's hard to deny that Mark Hamill doesn't give something of a masterful performance in this movie. Yeah, I I can't 100% agree with you, but... I I reckon that's a that's a totally defensible statement. If if you want to argue that, I have no issue with it. Mm-hmm. I I like Mark Hamill a lot. I mm-hmm. he's he's extremely talented. Yes. He's great. I love him as Luke. His voice acting work is amazing. Yeah. 
I mean, we're not talking about that, but we just, I just have to mention, he's the Joker, he was Fire Lord Ozai. Yeah, he's talented, yeah. So he's, we know he's talented. Yeah, more recognizable characters than I think a lot of people For sure. realize. I think with him, for me at least personally, Luke Skywalker was never my favorite character in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that I'm not a Luke Skywalker fan. Of course, you grow yeah. up. And Luke Skywalker is, like, the iconic hero. Right. But that doesn't mean, like, in those movies, he's the character that I usually tend to gravitate the most of. Right. And I mean, it's it was honestly, the same thing with Ahsoka in yeah. Clone Wars. And honestly, his acting is rough in those first few original. That doesn't yeah. mean he doesn't have great scenes in them. Yeah. But there are some sequences where he's a very young actor. Yeah. This one is a mature actor coming back to his craft. Yeah. And coming back to that character. Same way, I think... Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher really knock it out of the park mm-hmm. with their return. Harrison Ford, I think, is great in Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. So underrated. I wish character. I wish we saw more of him yeah, in this agreed. whole thing. But I think you, I at least in my personal opinion, I think Mark Hamill does that in Space as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I okay. I'll I'll uh, I will allow that. I I Mark Hamill does a lot with what he is given. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that I find unfortunate is that I feel like Last Jedi doesn't really understand Luke at all, and Mark Hamill has also come out and said this, that that it's there are so many things that Luke does in this film that are so antithetical to A, the last things that he was told by Yoda, and B, just who he is as a character. He's I mean, the reason that episode four is called A New Hope is because that's Luke. Luke is the new hope. And for him to be so not hopeful in this movie just feels wrong. And I know that there's a lot of mistakes that he made, but... I also feel like the mistakes that he made don't really fit with his character that well. I mean, a, a, a great example of one of the biggest problems that I have with with Luke, but this is also just with what was set up before and then the payoff. The, the scene at the end of The Force Awakens where Rey makes it to his island on Octu. Octu. Mm-hmm. And there's this grand reveal where Luke slowly turns around and brings his hood down and we see him and Ray is sort of holding out the lightsaber. It's this awesome, amazing swell of a moment with John Williams score coming in and it's the, you know, the hero theme. Mm. And then Luke has this lightsaber that belonged to Anakin, belonged to Vader belonged to him and now is in Ray's possession and she's giving it back to him. So much weight in this in this lightsaber and it's just thrown away for a cheap gag. Mm-hmm. I would argue for a cheap gag. Argument against that for my point <clears throat> is one, where would this character go from where episode seven sets him out? I don't understand how the character that we see in episode seven would still be that hopeful, optimistic character, because in his terms, he has failed the galaxy in his 
way. Would I like what they do about Luke in this I, film? He has, but the, the problem that I have with it is that the failure that he had also wasn't super, wasn't conducive to his character. I the, the mistakes that he made with Ben Solo didn't seem like mistakes that he would make. But there's, to me, the counter argument in this. I like those mistakes because they make him human. I like that there is the nature of a person to not be perfect and to make bad decisions. And that is what Luke has to deal with in this movie. He ultimately dooms the galaxy in his perspective because of what he decides to do to Ben Solo. Or even for the flicker of a second what he decides to do to Ben Solo. I like that they take this character who is essentially deified in the Star Wars universe and bring him and back bring him down to a, a bit. human. Okay. And it is this way of this whole movie is such an interesting examination of failure and coping with personal turmoil of one's failure. There's something in Luke Skywalker that seems he seems so uncomfortable with who he was. I love that these it deals with legacy. This film is about legacy, accepting what your role is and understanding like what people perceive of you. That's that whole thing where it's hard to be a public persona mm -hmm. and then be a person. <clears throat> because right. when you're the public persona, right. when you're the hero it's, it's of all, the galaxy, it's a persona, yeah. you have to be perfect in their eyes. So when he fails, he has the weight of letting down the mm -hmm. galaxy. So when he goes to this island, he goes to this island, in my opinion, to be isolated because he sees himself as the doom that brought this galaxy to its end. If you had him still be that hopeful, optimistic character, it would never make sense why he would go to that island. He has to be on that island because he needs to isolate himself, right? Yeah. You, there's no counterpoint where if you have the old optimistic Luke, he can be on that island. And what I love what this movie does is by the end of that movie, you see that new hope again. You see Luke Skywalker become that hero again. It is that grand journey of him finding himself and accepting that he is a human and he is also has this responsibility of the galaxy upon his shoulders. It's a tough thing that they balance, but like I said, I think Ryan Johnson just hits the themes of failure so well in this movie that I just, I honestly, every second of Luke's arc to me in this film is so deserving and so well done that... I like it. I just like when you see a character that has had 40 years of history brought to that level. I think they do it well with other movies that do it. Creed with Rocky Balboa when he's fighting cancer and he kind of just gives up on this fight for cancer and Michael B. Jordan has to like get him back in. There's something always really interesting to see the character at their lowest and have to come back because that's a very human thing, right? Mm -hmm. If you're perfect the whole time, you're not an interesting character. The fact that you yeah. see a character fall... It's that quote from The Dark Knight, why do we fall so we can rise again? Mm -hmm. That's what I like that Mark Hamill and Luke Skywalker does in this movie. All right. I, ha I have two points. One is directly related to Luke, and then one kind of branches off a little bit, but mm. is related to that perfect character sort of thing. Mm. Uh, I, would, I would totally agree with everything that you said if Luke did things differently when he finally does come face to face with Kylo Ren. I, I can't stand how he does it. 
it's my favorite with, scene. With Kylo Ren. It's one of my Ren. favorite scenes. The, he starts off the way that he should, but the fact that he's so smug and cavalier is just, it's just not, it just doesn't seem like a great plan. It doesn't seem like he's trying to redeem himself in Kylo Ren's eyes at all. It seems like he's just trying to, you know, drive that stake in harder. And I, I wish it had been, I wish there had been more heartfelt, you know, sentiment mm. in it. And the fact that it's, that is done away with in favor of smug Luke making a cheap joke about how every word that you just said is wrong. It just, it, again, that's one of those things that just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit with me. The whole point of Luke in the way that his arc should have ended in order to be satisfying is to return to the place where he was at the end of episode six. He saw the good in his father who, who had killed literally millions, right? Yeah. And Kylo Ren, it, it, was, it, it was Luke's direct fault mm. that Kylo Ren became what he, that Ben Solo became Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. And he is still smug about it. He mm. doesn't see the good, he refuses to see the good in Kylo, mm. even though we can clearly see it. We can see as viewers that there's there's actually a lot of nuance in Kylo Ren and Rey's characters in this aspect where there's some there's some dark side in Rey and there's some light side in Kylo. Yeah. And th- that's one that's kind of one of the reasons why I don't want to watch Rise of Skywalker because that I know that it's not I just know that it wasn't that it's not brought to a nice Yeah. I think one of the biggest issues that ends up happening is this redemption of Ben Solo that happens in episode 9. I think in episode 8, what works is, to me, he should be the full bad guy. Like, this, to me, it makes sense if his character arc is the fact that, like, there is no redemption of Kylo Ren. Mm -hmm. Like, that line of Carrie Fisher saying to, uh, to Luke, where she's like, I know my son is gone, that could, should kind of be the moment where we as an audience accept it. Because Ray has accepted it at this point. Luke and Leia have accepted it. Ray hasn't accepted it at this point. I think she has. I argue that I think she understands that Kylo and her go her separate way and that there is no redemption. Because she tries to pull him out of the dark side. She does the Luke Skywalker come with me. You know, you're still, I see the hope in you. Mm-hmm. And he rejects it. And by the end, he becomes so extravagant in his berserkness that I think, (laughs) like, I think he's gone full loss. I think, to me, the Kylo Ren arc should have been, and this is an argument for episode nine, so I don't really want to go into it, but I think he should be, this. to me, episode eight transitions him to be supreme leader perfectly, and we don't get that closure. That's why, like, because Luke Skywalker's plan is simply to distract Kylo. He needs to get Kylo angry enough that he's not noticing what's happening, essentially. Because the exact second they start noticing, he just, Kylo and all of them wipe out the first, uh, wipe out the resistance. That's simply what happens. So, Ky- so Luke Skywalker's whole plan, it's again this whole defensive thing. And I think what works for me is 
that Luke Skywalker plays it like a pacifist. Mm-hmm. He never draws his weapon. Uh, besides the fact that, I mean, he's just in lightsaber stance mode, his mm-hmm. defensive mode, but it's never like he swings or anything because yeah. he's not there. Yeah. I like that his last act is restoring hope to the galaxy by his image alone. I like that all. With that said, there I understand where you feel like the smugness of him like dusting off uh, the yeah, shoulder. The dust I off love the shoulder. it. I love the dust off the shoulder. Cool visual, but, but it, it just it doesn't track for I me. I think, like I said, reason. to me, that whole sequence, and again, it's when I see it the second time, because the first time I was a little discombobulated by that scene. The second time where I worked for me is because I knew he wasn't on that planet and i knew simply his plan is to basically give the resistance their chance and kylo needs to be distracted in that way if i don't know i just to me kylo can't be redeemed by the end of this movie. i i think i think the problem is that it ends luke's arc in a way that doesn't seem like it's fully resolved and it just kind of locks Kylo Ren into this state where it'll be really hard to develop him further because it's he's not he's not such a cut and dry mustache twirling villain there's obviously conflict in him and it's such an interesting thing and i think if luke had been able to it's obvious that Kylo is just frustrated. He's got kind of the Prince Zuko sort of thing where everything just makes him angry and even you know Uncle Iroh's like I'm trying to help you, like, gentle advice and wisdom and love still pisses him off. Mm-hmm. Like, I think th- that fits Kylo Ren well, but it still plants the seed yeah. of, like, you know, there's something else that I can do or, like, there's something more that I can do than just be an evil guy. Yeah. And, and, it, and it brings Luke's arc full circle. It returns him to what he lost between episode six and episode eight. So to me, the Luke story, it's a perfect circle for me because it is that moment where he steps out, he gives the galaxy a new hope. That's, to me, that's where it works. And like I said, to me, in my personal opinion, Kylo should never have been redeemed. And I think that's what the movie tries to set up. I think... What's really interesting about this movie, besides one that we can see it in two such different ways, it, one that's always just a sign of a filmmaker, again, who's provocative. Mm-hmm. And I think we can both agree, for better or for worse, Ryan Johnson makes a provocative, thought-provoking movie, right? Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, can we also, I yeah, think there's yeah, one I, more. I, I, I'm going to amend my, I guess so, Yeah, to I th- be less passive-aggressive. Yeah, I can we both agree that there's one character actor who knocks it out of the park in this movie, the best performance in the movie by far? Are we both in agreement on who it is? Maybe. I'm saying Adam Driver. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, He yeah. gives the best performance in this I, movie. I absolutely love I Adam think Driver. He's I, awesome. He's great as Kylo Ren. From seven to nine, I think there are complaints you can have on the whole sequel. None of it ever, to me, lies on Daisy Ridley or Adam Driver, but specifically Driver. Mm-hmm. Driver from the First second. Did you say that movie. he's a driving force? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's a that pun works twofold. Yeah, I know. Oh, beautiful. I know. That, it's a can, good one. We can end right now. Yeah, it's a good one. I think we can agree from the first moment of Adam Driver coming on screen as Kylo Ren, it is 
just so thought provoking and interesting. Yeah, like he's awesome. Oh amazing. my god, his first scene his first is scene, so cool. I think that's the thing. I think that one. I wish people would acknowledge more about this is that Ryan Johnson has really good things in this movie throughout. I don't think this movie is all trash. <laughs> and obviously I don't, but I think I yeah. think you would agree, right? There, there's a lot of good in there, this movie. Yeah, there are some good there are some good things in this movie. Adam Driver's a huge one. Yeah. Um Yeah, I there there are a couple things that we'll people that people say are like Say what you will about this, but blah 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 is great, and I even have some counterpoints for those. But, but. so let's just get into this first scene with Driver, because it's one of my mm-hmm. favorite scenes in the movie, is where he's in Snoke's throne room, which mm-hmm. one, visually stunning. I love the super use of cool, red. super cool looking. Just the room. use of red is so perfect in this, and mm-hmm. the fact that Snoke has this ridiculous gold member. Gold <laughs> robe on. I love gold. gold. It's so stupid looking, but it works for whatever little reason. Bit, little bit poor planning to have something flammable in a spaceship, like it's that fair. big old red backdrop, but... It makes it cool when the fight happens. It, yeah, it, yes, it does. What... I love this moment where he and Adam, Andy Serkis have their, like, dialogue, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Where, it's Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis, where he's like, take that ridiculous thing off, yeah. like... Take that mask. I see too much of Han Solo in you, and then Driver steps. I killed Han Solo, Mm -hmm. and you, the deed almost tore you apart. Get out of here! And the fact of him smashing the helmet. helmet. Mm -hmm. I love one of the things Ryan Johnson, I guess, said upon agreeing to make this movie when he talked to Kennedy and Disney, when like you know they gave him the script of Episode Seven when he's pitching his script for Episode Eight, he's like. The one thing I'm not compromising is Kylo Ren has to break the mask. He has to break that mm-hmm. facade of who didn't he season. didn't he like completely scrap any previous things for episode eight like anything that J.J. Abrams had and was just like I'm so rewriting Abrams this had whole nothing. Thing. I heard that there was like a lot maybe not Abrams specifically but there was a lot of like things written that were just completely disregarded. So how. It is understood now, and again, it's so muddled because nothing's actually officially come out. Yeah. But generally, the story It's a mess. Most of the directors who have worked with it, J.J. had the option to direct all three. He did not. He excited to produce all three, and he wrote the first movie. But there was no overall story for the first three. There was no overall story for the trilogy. So episode eight, Johnson that gets it, it that and then nine is supposed to be Colin Trevorrow, but they fire him, and JJ yeah. gets it back. With of course the issue now being the fact JJ that there was not Johnson's a, stuff as counterintuitive to what JJ's creating. The that's there are too many cooks in the kitchen. I think it is and too. The, I think and this the strategy's fact, better if Johnson does it from start to finish. One because it just makes. <laughs> Agree to disagree. That's fair. I, the, it at least would have been more consistent if the same director did it. Also, but we I, have the to, problem, the, yeah. the huge glaring problem, and this is why I, this is, now that you've mentioned that there was no overarching story, I think I've heard that, but just now it clicked. That's why this movie feels so disjointed to me, and that's why I think a lot of, a lot of sequel decriers say what they say it's because that the, there wasn't a plan yeah there wasn't there wasn't a single plan you can say whatever you want about the prequels they are not perfect by any means they are yeah but 
The one thing that you can't say is that there wasn't a story. There, the story George, was meticulously planned out. Yeah, George Lucas from start to finish has the creative story right. going on and he knows where he wants to he had story. he had every story beat in one through six perfectly planned out and it's sad that mar uh marcia mar marcia uh george lucas's ex-wife oh yeah 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 I who was who was an name. editor she reigned george in on the on the sequels yeah, or yeah, on yeah. the on the Originals. original uh, yeah on the ot she wasn't around and i think if she was the the prequels would have been Absolutely, they would have been great cinema. Yeah, they they would have been on par with the OT. Yeah, um, and that's like a, you know, that's a little, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, going back into this movie, so we're talking about Driver yeah. now. Uh, <laughs> How foolish of us to think that we could do. We weren't uh, gonna go uh, quick on not, this one. Not a we're chance. not even like halfway into the movie, really. <laughs> oh my so god! Yeah, we let's really talk are. About like. Driver and Ridley's relationship is, I think, the most interesting part of this movie. Really cool. That's it's so a, good. That's another aspect of this movie that I actually really quite like. The, their their relationship and their sort of like forced telepathy connection with one another is really neat. It's a really cool concept that's pulled off really well, and yeah. I think it's pulled off really well is because. And this is another point where I don't think we're going to have contention. Ryan Johnson is a really interesting visual filmmaker. Like, the the visuals he encompasses in the movie, for the most part, serve. There's one that I have the exception for, but for the most part, his style is well felt in this movie. Like, yeah, visually, there, it looks amazing. Yeah, there are, some, there, are some, there are some scenes and shots in this movie that look really cool. Yeah. In my uh, opinion, it's the coolest looking Star Wars movie. Oh, oh well, yeah. Oh, it's got the Disney dollars. In yeah, it. it's got the. It's, it can't not. The only one that like comes close the Disney to me. Disillions. Is Rogue One? I actually think Rogue One cinematography is so underrated and like Rogue so. Rogue One good. is awesome. Yeah, Rogue like, One's awesome. Go watch Rogue One if you haven't watched it. The go. Scarif battle on it, like the, oh, the Scarif beach is planet. so cool. It's so well done. But going back into this movie. What I like about this is I think it's really hard to visualize two characters being in separate rooms but being connected. And I mm -hmm. think Johnson actually does a really great visual representation of those two characters being connected by the force. There are some this is this is where those are some of the shots. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lay this card down. Yeah. I have a I have a problem with the cinematography. Okay. For some things, and I will explain why. There's one I have an issue. But, with, but this, go on. this, uh, this whole connection with Ray and Kylo, there's some really cool cinematography. Yeah, uh, I agree. One one shot in particular is the shot right before Luke walks in and sees Ray and Kylo yeah, like like actually interacting. Yeah. Before before Kylo's actually there. You can see sort of an orange light hit on his face, even though he's in the like tungsten balanced, sterile environment of the Empire's ships. Mm -hmm. There's still that orange firelight, and it's really it's a so neat, well lit. Yeah, yeah, it's a really neat idea. Uh, <laughs> we're charging. We're charging our zoom camera, and I keep getting alerts from the kitchen. <laughs> so I think. Just what, gotta snooze that. What works so well about that scene is visually how it's represented. I also think a lot of performance comes in with this. Like, I think when Ray 
sees Kylo and she shoots, and Kylo has that flinch, like thinking he just got shot. Yeah, that's a cool. lot of performative actions right there in yeah. the actors. We also, and I think they nail it. I think there's so much just chemistry between Daisy and mm-hmm. Adam Driver that feels so natural. That's why and there's like, Raylo shippers. Yeah, and it like. It works so well because they do feel like yin and yang in this movie. I yeah. love the exploration of the balance of those two and that she has the dark sides. Yeah. That at times I feel like they both crave what the other has. She wants kind of that positivity mm-hmm. that she has like this belief in something greater. Mm-hmm. And she wants that. The knowledge. The knowledge that he carries. Yeah. Of the world. like. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great balance between the two, and I think, and that's you, the that's the whole point of the gray Jedi too, which yeah. is really what I wanted Episode Nine to fully amount to. Like, I mean, Kylo Ren keeps saying "Let the past die," and like, not a bad sentiment. Yeah, honestly, I mean, the Jedi Order was super flawed. They're they were so arrogant and so sure that uh, no way a Sith could infiltrate which us. Which is the bold, whole thing Mark Hamill's Luke Skywalker's talking about, where he's like, right. the, yeah, one the, of the Jedi were is yeah, the Jedi were vain. Yeah, he's teaching like, look at how much failure is involved with the Jedi. Thing. Yeah, like there's this such possessive thing. It's really interesting when you start diving into religion and philosophy mm-hmm. in Star Wars, mm-hmm. and specifically the whole fe- feeling of like. You're tapping into this force that connects us all, yet we feel as Jedi that we are the masters and ruler of the force, and only mm-hmm. we can be in touch yeah. with it. And that's not balance. And that's not balance. And two, it's just a disproving dumb thing. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the whole idea of the prequels is these Jedi are kind of preaching mm-hmm. false prophets, essentially. Like, they're almost false right. prophets, it feels like. Yeah, Something in more a, grand in a way. Yeah, they're, they are good. They are trying to be good but the way that they go about it is so flawed yeah and i think that's what hamill and johnson really explore in this movie and the, is there's yeah and there's the, flaws the, in everything and you mm-hmm. have to understand how to accept and come to terms with the flaw but also understanding that with the old way i guess of doing that there are lessons to be learned yeah in and, there and that's and why the gray that that's why the gray jedi would have been such or the gray i think they're just called the grays uh-huh. That would have been such a neat story beat, but I know it doesn't happen. Yeah, I know that that's not what happens in the Rise of Skywalker, which yeah. is why, which is why I've said this multiple times. The story that I could write for Rise of Skywalker, in my head, I feel like is better. I think the issue, and I really don't want to jump into Rise of Skywalker too yeah. much. Yeah. Rise of Skywalker hurts the Last Jedi to me, in the sense that like JJ has no clue what's going. I've been. Everyone who knows me knows that I talk down about J.J. quite Mm -hmm. a bit. That's not actually out of hatred for J.J.'s Mm -hmm. filmography. I think he's actually a fairly talented Mm -hmm. director. It's just some of the decisions he makes always kind of, sometimes they feel way too fanservice-y. That's what I like about this movie. There's no real, like, in the sense of, like... It's all fans, it's all fluff with with no meat. If you hated Star Wars... Like, just legitimately none of these movies were for you. I think there's a chance you have a really interesting drama, pseudo-examination of corruption politics and uh, just the force in this film. That I think someone who's hated Star Wars... In episode 8. Yeah, that they could watch episode 8 and find things they like. I think at times it feels like Star Wars, for people who maybe think Star Wars 
is just space lasers and fighting. Like, you know what I mean? Like this it's, one- it's ironic that you say that because so many people who went against people who had legitimate criticisms of this movie, and I would like to think that I do. Yeah, yeah. No, all your criticisms, yeah. I'm not saying they're legitimate. Yeah. I just don't agree with them. Right, yeah. And, and that's totally fair. You're entitled to your wrong opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but, like, I, the everyone, a lot of people on Twitter, when people had legitimate criticisms about this movie would either call them racists when none of them were actually racist. Yeah. I have no issues. I, I love the representation in this hang movie. On, it's hang awesome. On, hang on. When we say none of them are racist, well, yes. we should counteract that. There's got to, there, there are, is a vocal minority a in very, Star a Wars. A very small yes. fraction. There is a vocal, and the issue, of course, that always happens is the vocal minority always feels like the majority. When you're online mm-hmm. and you're the one receiving the yeah, hate, right? both both because they have the most inflammatory opinions and because they're, pe- the, it's, they're the e- they're also the easiest to attack. They're yeah. they've they're kind of pre-built straw mans. Yeah, and they're you know? also in the sense that like they're the loudest. Like people who are just okay or just like have mixed opinions on it. Right. Yeah, you're not going to be getting into these huge fights. Yeah, I'm not going like, to get I'm not going to get into a Twitter like, oh, fight yeah, with like, anybody. This is good. This maybe doesn't work that well. Yeah. It's the ones who are out there who are specifically going out there to really attack a movie mm-hmm. or really praise it, I guess, on the counter turn. Yeah. So I'd like to say, I, I want to just tie I, that in because to say that there was no racist, sexist section of oh, the Star Wars. Yeah, there, that, that, that out, kind of person. It's pers- very clear. That kind of, that kind of crappy person exists in every piece yeah. of media ever. I, and I, I think I, Star Wars has had, it's always had documentation mm-hmm. of this I, is ours in... This, I mean, look at Ahmad mm-hmm. from Phantom Menace. That guy got the crap. Oh, yeah. Poor, yeah, yeah, for Jar Jar. And same with Jake Lloyd. I mean, he was a nine-year-old kid. Who yeah, got he's nine living, years old. Living crap. Yeah. And I, I think I, and the kind of people that we're saying that aren't like, that are able to have the conversation are the kind of people that we got on Instagram, follow at the Beniverse, the oh, yeah. dot Beniverse. Uh, we got quite a few people that are like disca- that have nuanced opinions. Mm. Visually impressive, and the throne room battle is amazing. But overall, it's a little rough to sit through. I disagree with, especially the throne room battle is amazing. Sorry, bud, um, and I'll explain why. Yeah, uh, but that's a nuanced opinion. And that comment comes from Brendan Allen. Yes, I wasn't sure if we were mentioning. Yeah, I'll names just mention names. names. Uh, um, one of them. Uh, here, can I see this real yeah, quick? Yeah, Because I know a few of these. One of them, uh, Tristan Knox, who's a fan of the show, and uh, my former roommate, actually. It's still my and second favorite roommates. Star Wars film four years later. I love the Canto bite. Rose was my favorite <laughs> new character. Ray Nobody is a beautiful way to take the Star Wars saga into new brave territory. And finally, Jacob Willebeck Lemaire. I believe this so much. Congratulations on your baby. Yes, I believe this so much. I'm commenting again. It's my third favorite Star Wars behind Episode Three and Five. Sure, the bad parts are bad, but the good parts more than make up for it. And I think Ryan Johnson was heading in a really interesting direction that got cut short. Are just some of the comments that we received on this week's Mm -hmm. show, and I think it really does show that there is such a diverse opinion on this movie. Like you can, this movie sparks conversation yeah for it's it's really a movie that if someone likes something someone could just as easily not like that i mean the throne room is a great example which we will talk about because i've got a lot we're, to say we're about getting that into too. it really soon i'm um, trying to think 
if there's a few more. You can like the throne room scene. It looks really cool, but the the more that's spoilers. We'll get into that. Mm. But that's a that's a really good example. Um, I before we get into that, I don't know if that's like the next major thing that you want to talk about. There's a few more things that we gotta hit on. Definitely with Luke. And Finn, we haven't touched much on Finn and Rose. Yeah. But let's so let's go back to Luke real quick. Yeah. Because this is when he starts training Ray. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite character beats in this movie is when he sees R2 again. Oh, I love that moment. It's Luke such and, a great character moment. Luke and R2 reuniting is the first part of Luke that I really like in this movie. Yes. And I love the this is great the fan service gets a negative connotation with it yeah it is not negative inherently yeah use poorly it can be really dumb right this is a great use of fan service by bringing back the princess leia recording from a new hope that feels instrumental to the plot beautiful moment but while also driving forward the storytelling yes I think it's a great use mm-hmm. of and fan service. I mean, uh, the Mandalorian does a great job with fans. There are a couple moments that are like a little, little far, little far, but like overwhelmingly, the fan service in that is excellent because mm. it like it flows, it makes sense, it's good. Mm. I mean, Boba Fett. Yeah. Need I say more? Yeah. He's he's awesome, mm. and it makes sense that why he's in there. Mm. Um. Okay, so Luke and I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it's one of my favorite just quick beats that we get of this yeah. of these two characters. It's mm-hmm. one of the few like I think most of the reunions in this film are very good. I think the one with Luke going back to Leia mm-hmm. is a very sweet moment. I yeah. love again we talk about just Carrie Fisher just knowing that character, mm-hmm. and I don't know again I can't say that this was all written by Carrie Fisher her lines, but mm-hmm. I do know that she has always been very vocal on what she says. Yeah. I love the line where Luke's about to speak, and she's like, you don't have to say, I changed my hair. It's such a nice little moment. That's great. And I love the. It's, again, that chemistry that just feels so old Mm -hmm. yet so timeless is the, like, Mark Hamill's response right after this. Mm -hmm. She's like, it looks good. I love that moment. It's one of those moments that, like, made me want to watch the OT again. Yeah. It's been too long since I've watched it. Uh, yeah, it's been a few weeks was, for me. It's such a it's such a great moment. I I need to uh, go to the bathroom, take a little bathroom break. Okay, you want uh, to pause? but I really quickly. This is more. This is just a little minor thing that mm-hmm. we can do before the break. Maybe we'll put in a ad for Anchor in, in oh, this we're time doing too. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe uh, Anchor's really good. Uh, I'm not dismissing it. Yeah. Um, we love Anchor. That's how we so distribute this. this. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. We're. I'm definitely not insulting Anchor. Uh, so the last thing that I'll say before I go take a little potty break mm. uh, is that th- this is more of a problem with the sequels as a whole, mm. not just this movie, but they severely nerfed lightsabers in this in this trilogy. I will agree we've, with that. We've seen lightsabers decapitate. We've seen lightsabers cut arms off clean. In in episode eight, we see Ray cut through a rock like butter, but. This happens a lot in episode seven. Uh, yeah, it's we, almost used almost like a dagger. It feels Finn, like we're just kind of Finn. Cuts. Finn gets swiped up the backside, like along his spine, with Kylo's lightsaber. Falls into the snow. He's not dead. And then Ray hits Kylo in the face, knocks his helmet off. He should be dead. Yeah. His face should be like in half. 
Let's focus on episode eight. Yes. And then in episode eight, in the, here's the payoff for oh. that. In episode eight, Finn and Kylo Ren have both recovered from those injuries so quickly. They recovered from lightsaber injuries. Yeah. F- to the spine and to the face. They just had that little... Yeah, he just had a little scratch. It's a pretty deep cut. Like, it goes from his face down to his, like, chest. Yeah, it should be a deep cut as in, like, it goes from one side of his head to the other side of his head. I have to see how he gets hit again. You're probably right, Mm -hmm. but I I have to remember how he gets swung at in episode seven. And then uh, a little teaser for what I want to say for the throne room. There are quite a few things in the throne room where the power of the lightsaber is nerfed. There should have been quite a few heads rolling, and there were just a couple little glowing gashes. And we're back. Thanks for the ad, maybe, yeah. if there's an ad. We might throw one in. We'll see. Or cool. we've thrown one in. Yeah, we've, we've thrown one in. So we've decided. I know we're about to get to the middle of the film with the throne room scene, which kind of feels like, I guess, the crux of this film. Mm-hmm. Before we jump on that, we have not hit two characters really at all. Finn and Rose. Finn and Rose. Here is the issue that I think that I have more with JJ than Johnson in this movie is simply like... You're a simp for Ryan. I am. I, I really <laughs> like Ryan. But one of my... Here's the issue. This is a trilogy film and JJ ends it by putting one of the main characters in a... Injured? Like a life... Like damaging injury? Like, of course, like, J.J. has to, or sorry, Ryan has to do something with that. I just, it's a really weird decision that they have to, like, kind of start it with that. And I just, like, I don't know how you fix it because I think that scene is really important in Force Awakens because it kind of motivates Rey to, like, really get in co- contact with the Force because she just understands Ry- Kylo's so powerful. Mm-hmm. The issue, of course, is then, like, it almost feels non-consequential because mm-hmm. he's, like, left in this tank at the end of Force Awakens, and yeah. then, like, his first thing that he does is he wakes out of it. It's, like, it yeah, I don't it's, know. It's, it's an issue, I guess, with Johnson's script, but also one I yeah. don't know how he fixes. Yeah, I it, think, was a team, it was a team issue. They both kind of screwed each other in yeah, that aspect. Because if Johnson leaves Finn in the tank, it's a complete disservice to John Boyega. I think it is. Oh, just yeah. straight oh, up. absolutely. But also, in taking him out, it kind of discredits what J.J. does. Mm-hmm. And it's in the sense of, like, the reason I blame it more on J.J. is because he kind of put the director in a really bad spot. Uh, like, I there's think... no positive solution to fix this that, I guess, really feels of this universe, of this story. I think the really the only way that you could have solved all those issues is... And this is this is something that JJ would have had to do, is if John had or if John Finn <laughs> if Finn had lost like a limb or something, I think it would it would have been really interesting if instead of getting slashed in the back and then recovering from that so quickly, he like lost a leg or something. That would still like yeah. knock him out from the shock. It would dramatically change who his character is, but we know that prosthetics or um, prosthetics that like cybernetic yeah yeah, cybernetic limbs are a possibility in this universe we've seen it multiple times with hands especially that's why i'm saying a leg it would be something different uh and it would 
it would just be a cool it's yeah. it would be something that Finn would still have to adapt to and I think that it would yeah. allow for Finn's character to be used in an even more interesting way. The way that Finn's character is set up in Force Awakens, I absolutely love. Love it too. A defector, a defector. It's one of my favorite aspects clone of trooper, the Force Awakens. Or a defective or a defector stormtrooper yeah. who may be force sensitive. That's awesome. Yeah, agreed. And I, and I feel like in this movie it's totally squandered. It's, it's he's, that he's weird played thing with Finn. Finn's, it's it's entire his arc is entirely reversed and he's played more as like this goofus. John Boyega says like the John like, Boyega is very vocal in the fact that yeah, he doesn't like his portrayal like, specifically in eight and nine. Yeah, this isn't he's like this isn't what the character was set. Yeah. yeah. This isn't what the yeah. This isn't what I signed off for. It's like I said. It's such this interesting thing because how I've always said the film is he's kind of the comic me, relief. Is, is what Mark I want to Hamill, say to. Daisy Ridler, Adam Driver feels like the where Johnson Post puts his focus on, mm-hmm. and then he just feels kind of obligated to give these other characters stories. Yeah, that's they kind feel of what like it feels afterthoughts. Like. And I, which totally defeats this the time, purpose. Watching it this time with a really critical eye. There's aspects of the story, their story beats that I like. And then there's also some that, for me, it's just like there's too much time spent with these characters in a sense. Like, just really, I understand that there's too much time with not enough meaningful development and payoff. Here's my issue that I've said the biggest with Rose and Finn is I need about one or two more character beats between those two to yeah. buy what happens yeah. in the third act. Yeah. Not because their chemistry isn't good. Their chemistry is actually pretty good in this yeah. film. I, I like them as I like, like them both as characters and actors. I like how they start out as I love, they're both kind of nerds. I love Rose Tico's introduction. Yeah. I love she's the fact that we great. have Paige on the resistance bomber that she mm-hmm. dies, that yeah. they have these like half like the little medallions. The little medallions that are uh formed that Rose is there that she feels just like destroyed that Mm -hmm. she sees Finn and then she thinks of him as a coward because here's what I like about Finn. I like that Finn is again also in the situation where he's this resistance hero, but to him, he's not actually really resistance. He's just on team Ray, like Mm -hmm. in the sense that like he's there to help Ray out and he just so happens to be friends with Poe Dameron because they had this mission in Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. Besides that, you don't particularly get the sense that he buys in much to this resistance like, not necessarily that he's not in support of it, but that's not why he defects. He defects because he feels this guilt of being in the First mm-hmm. Order. And then, so when he's defecting in this movie, like, trying to do the escape pod, it's not because he's deserting the Resistance, because he needs to save Rey in his mind. Yeah. She, of course, would see that as deserting of the Resistance, because that is essentially what he's doing. Yeah. But again, she sees that because she sees him as part of the Resistance. Mm-hmm. I love that his character arc from this film goes to a guy who's unsure of who he is mm-hmm. to where he then goes to Captain Phasma. And when she's like, you are always scum. Mm-hmm. And he's like, rebel, rebel scum. scum. I think I do it's like a great that. line. I do like that line. I think that's a great, like, from point A to point B. I think it works. That's a bit of fan service that's pretty yeah. good. I rebel think scum. that all that whole sequence works. It's the emotional beat at the end where... Finn is about to sacrifice him and Rose saves him. I don't have an issue with Finn being saved in this scene. 
I just needed about one or two more character beats between the two. It kind of feels like Rose is kind of giving it all to like she's explaining his life and Boyega's really closed, or Finn, I should say, is really closed off in this to the fact that like it seems like she's kind of just pouring her heart out and he's really closed off. Mm-hmm. I wish there was a kind of a character moment that we got where Finn can kind of relate to her a little bit more and we get like one or two sequences of, of that. That way that end scene uh, just works a little better because I don't with have an the, issue the, with it, the, sac- the sacrifice. Yeah, with specifically with, with the her ram. saving mm-hmm. him. I don't have an issue with that. I think that is the whole point of the movie is being the fly boy the idea that like you're just gonna charge in there and mm-hmm. do some big grand statement mm-hmm. to like do something to like win you that battle isn't the point. The point needs to be we need to save what we love and preserve that. That's right. my biggest counterpoint. Yeah. Um, okay, so I disagree. I think that Rose ramming Finn completely deconstructs everything that her character had going uh and like she tries to keep finn from dying who which would have saved everyone in the process or at least bought them a lot more time to figure out something would have kept the resistant or it would have kept the blast door closed and they could have you know had more time to figure something out does it i always just by how much force that his ship is taking i don't even think he makes it to the basically do the kamikaze yeah move. Like, it's kind of it's kind of like shaking up. and breaking down like i really think he is going to make the sacrifice move with little to no effect it's kind of yeah it's kind of the it's thing kind that johnson, of not clear yeah the thing that johnson really gets in that scene is he you see how much slower his ship is going to the point that rose can catch up right so you have to assume the closer and closer he gets he's gonna have to go slower and slower which means eventually his sacrifice is probably just going to be in vain. That's to me what that sequence is trying to convey. Because I like I said, you see it in the fact that that ship is going slow to the fact that Rose can intercept it. I that that's. It's yeah, a fair point. I get it's yeah. It's neither here or there. Agree to disagree. Yeah. Um, but the way that she saves him is also like probably should have killed them. Like we see the wreckage of it. They should have both died. Yeah. Uh, and then here, here's here's, here's a dialogue thing that I just yeah, go for annoys it. me. The there's Rose says uh, we're not going to win by fighting what we hate, but protecting what we love. And just the chef's kiss, hilarious irony of her saying that just after almost killing Finn, who is trying to save everyone he loves, mm. and then right as she says that the resistance door just gets torn a new one in the background. Like, mm. how did that How did that specific sequence of events make it through rounds and rounds of edits? I think that could have worked better if it had been rewritten, but there's just so many levels of irony there that it's just like, wh- like, it, it just, it doesn't compute for me. Yeah, I will give you the sense that I agree with you, and I think that the execution is not perfect in that scene. I think this is one of those ideas where thematically, the idea works way more for me than the execution yeah, of thematic, the scene. Thematically, it's a it's a it's a fine sentiment. There's there's two sequences in that in this for me. 
this first one is this where where I'm like, okay, thematically, I like what Johnson does in this scene. Mm-hmm. Execution wise, it's a little off. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I say it's a little off is because I just don't believe necessarily that sacrifice that's about to happen. And like, it's it's the reverse. Connection. It's the reverse of it's awful taste but great execution. Yeah, it's, and it's the sense of like the kiss feels a little forced. And the reason I want, <laughs> I've, I've heard people yeah. say that Rose sexually harasses yeah. Finn, which <laughs> like is a little bit. I don't know. I, I I don't really know. I'm yeah. not going to. I'm not going to. It's the reason give. I want about a character <laughs> or two more beats with these characters, where it's like you kind of right. see that relationship build. So one, right? One because when you have moments like that, a lot of times you can forgive a movie for doing something if emotionally it pays off really well, right? Mm-hmm. For me, that scene doesn't particularly emotionally pay off particularly well, Which, but if you give it about a character beat or two more mm-hmm. throughout the film, I think that her saving Finn has a lot more emotional weight mm-hmm. where then you kind of forgive it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because there are yeah. times in films where you can forgive something because it's such a good character beat right. and it's such an emotionally impacting scene right. that you just kind of like... I'm in with it. Like, and there's stuff that's just like, it. sure, it doesn't particularly, like, make the most sense, but, like, I like it, so I like it. That's what Canto Bite should have been, I think, and re-watching the movie... Canto it, Bite's the it wasn't that... Yeah, it wasn't as bad as I remember it. That being said, it's still fairly bad. I don't know why it so aggressively doesn't work for me. To me... Maybe it, it goes... On too long? It goes on a little too long is one of the reasons. I always knew that was the bathroom break for me in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And two... Yeah, I guess I, you you, I you had to figure out... Like, a, yeah. I know where like I wanted to like kind of skip it. Right. Two, the other reason is... The gotcha with Benicio Del Toro's... Like, I don't hate... Substitute hacker. It's not the worst. It's specifically for me, it's the horse sequence. Where they're riding around, yeah, that feels of, a way too prequely for me. It's kind of it's it's a little goofy. It feels way too children, like it feels like I said for me that's prequel level bad. Yeah, that that's one so, sequence. It's I, yeah, it's got the same it's got the same feel as Padme and Anakin rolling yeah, around in the totally meadow. Totally agree. I I like the idea of Canto Bite a lot. I love the idea that this is this Vegas and that Ryan Johnson kind of describes that. This is where all the assholes in the planet hang out. Yeah, I, that makes yeah, sense. To I, me. I, I like that. I, I don't mind that idea either. I like that. This is the idea of like this is where corruption, villainy. Like, yeah, this, this is, is where is all the, the war side. mongers and profiteers yeah, are. This is the other side of Tatooine's Mos Eisley, right? Mos Eisley's is where all the low underground villains, the sca- uh, scoundrels, yeah, the, a, a the wretched hive hunters. of scum and villainy. This is the people who hire out those people. This is where all, they all hang out. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's really yeah. what it feels like. And I like this kind of richness to it, this this idea the of just greed yeah. and excess. Yeah. Rose's whole dialogue going into the, like, this is where, like, you see, like, the corruption, the animal abuse, basically what builds a kingdom. You see everything under it. That mm. shows, I guess, the flaws in it. And the reason DJ's a really interesting character. Even in though he's sen- a liar, he's got a great point. Yes. There with are th- good and bad's kind of nebulous. Yes. People sell arms to good and bad. Here's the thing. The performance is the more of the issue I have with DJ than the actual he character. Looks, Benicio del Toro looks like he's kind of strung out. He does, and the stutter's a little weird. I 
Yeah, I don't a know weird why. choice. Weird I don't, choice. There's just a, there's a few things where I like Benicio del Toro as an actor in this the collector role. the collector from yeah and him from, and Sicario and you're yeah. talking Guardians. I yeah, like him Guardians. a lot as a actor mm-hmm. in this role. It just feels like he's hamming it up a little bit too much. But the character yeah. itself is actually very well written. Like, yeah, he, yeah. That's kind of yeah. a weird thing where a lot of this, a lot of our criticism so far of this movie has been good actor, maybe mild to poor writing. Mm-hmm. This one's to me, it's the exact opposite. Good character with good writing executed poorly by an actor's choices. Yeah, yeah. I, it doesn't do him any favors, and then also there's just like there's just a little bit. There's just not enough build up to him for me. There if we had isn't. seen no, like a little shot of him here or there or like something to pique our interest. He's I don't know. such an like, cause I agree that one scene that you're talking about is also one of my favorite little moments in the film where he's on the ship. Yeah. And then he's like, Oh, look who we're selling to. Yeah. The bad. Yeah. And, and the, the good. good, yeah. It really shows, I like I said, one of the good things moment. I love Ryan Johnson does in this film is exploring the war part of Star Wars, and this really feels like the war profiteering. Like, the idea of, like, yeah. you have to understand, in that- war, there can't be as simple as a good or bad. You have your sides that you support, but to say that one is purely all good and one is purely all evil is ignoring the extremities of both. Yeah, like, that's what was so interesting about Ahsoka Tano as a character in the yeah. Clone Wars and even up to her appearance in Mandalorian. Spo- retroactive Wars, spoiler yeah. alert. Star Wars is best when it deals with the middle, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, there are so many of the most interesting, thought-provoking episodes are the ones where she is journeying deep into, like, separatist territory mm. on, like, Raxus. Or where she's, you know, dealing with the loss of, like, her friend who was a who was a separatist, or, mm. you know, seeing the flaws in the Jedi, like, and that's that's the, that's the prequel trilogy sort of version of this idea of war profiteering. I wish that there was a little bit more explanation of it, or yeah. a little bit more uh, exploration. It's of it. so interesting that this is the film where I want more politics in Star Wars, right? Isn't that like... Because, right, episode one through three deals with it so poorly, in my opinion, of the politics. This film, and again, it's one of those things where I think it just comes down to the talent of Johnson. Like, he is... Even the lines that that aren't good are well-written. So even if they, like, don't work in the movie, it's hard to look at one line and say that line is, like... It reminds me of a clip that it's I saw. It's a bad line. You that know what reminds I mean? me of a clip that I saw of Harrison Ford talking about uh, working with George Lucas on uh, the original trilogy. And he said, George, these are great lines to read and to write, but you can't say this stuff. Because yeah. it just sounds, <laughs> not because it was like inappropriate or whatever, it just sounded Dumb. corny. Yeah. I think what Johnson does really well as a writer is he delivers dialogue in a believable sounding way, even if it's ne- not necessarily well executed, as you would say in this movie, even mm-hmm. though for the most part, I'd say it's fairly well executed. Yeah, I, think, I didn't have too much of a problem with the dialogue aside yeah. from the weird comedy attempts. Yeah, and but the comedy, here's also the thing I'll say about the comedy. The comedy is never not funny for the most part. It's just misplaced in the movie. It, oh, yeah, it's it's. But it's hard to say that the placed. comedy is 
bad. There's to me what I'm saying is there's no I hate sand line in this movie where it's like the, where it's ironically oh, yeah, funny. Yeah, where it's a or I'm Anna. Uh, are you an angel? <laughs> I'm Anakin or whatever that whole line is in Phantom Menace. I'm Anakin and I'm a person. There's none of those types of lines in it where it's just like that's just wait. I'm Anakin and I'm is that an actual line? That's, I don't remember. I can't remember the. I'm Anakin line. and I'm a person. I don't remember what it is, but it's like. It's like a I, droid I, trying to convince. No, I'm a person <laughs> and my name is Anakin. It's the whole thing. When the, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's none of those types of lines. I'm a person. Lines. My name's Anakin. There's none of yeah. those types of lines in this movie is what I'm trying to right. hit. The, gosh, I really want to get into that throne room, but we, one, haven't really dealt with Luke Skywalker and Ray's training, which is a huge part. Uh, so let's jump into that. Because Lackluster. That whole, okay. This is... I wanted more of it. That's what I'll say about this movie. I yeah. wanted more than three lessons. Exactly. I, that is, it, that's necessary. I agree. I think she each needs lesson... To, she needs to earn her skill. Yeah, I think each lesson is interesting on itself. The first one is the lesson of the Force. I think this is a great exploration yeah. of what yeah, the yeah, Force yeah, yeah, yeah. is. The light and the darkness, you know, violence and then peace, birth and then death. Like this mm. whole juxtaposition in between it. Us yeah. is like the whole point. And then Luke having that whole dialogue about that. The second one it's being cool like you, the first one is what is the force? The second one is the history lesson, right? Yeah. The second one is this is why I don't believe the Jedi anymore. Why you need to stop associating with this mm-hmm. group essentially. So he brings down the failure of the Jedi. Like this is why the Jedi needs to end. Mm-hmm. The third one, what is the third one? Uh, is it just? I, get, I don't remember what the third one well, is. Well, would you like would you count it. her hitting Luke in the back of the head with a staff? Would you count that as a training lesson? No, because there he no. says I'm going to teach you three things. The first, maybe there wasn't a third because he like catches Luke and Kylo. But regardless, or to me I Kylo. like it all. Yeah, Ray and Kylo. Yeah. To me, I like it all. I just wanted a little bit more. I I actually would have preferred more training as well, if for no other reason than to make Ray not seem so undefeatable for no mm. reason. I, like, I mean, mm. with Luke's with Luke's training, he gets trained a lot in the in episode four and episode five. See, I always that's always my counter for people's criticisms of Ray, where they're like, oh, but Luke like didn't learn any of this. And I'm like, 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 you know, like he had to learn the force. And it's like, okay, but by the end of episode four, he is able to take the most impossible shot, basically blowing up the Death Star right. using the Force. Yeah, to that, me, that's like one of those moments where I'm like, this is why I kind of accept a lot of what Ray can do, because I understand the Force just kind of works like that. But there's, there's, e- there's, there needs to be more, though. I agree with you. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things that she does, be, like just having heard about like Jedi mind tricks. She performs one flawlessly on a Stormtrooper in Episode 7, mm. or a First Order Trooper. The idea uh, is that she's supposed to be so powerful with the Force, but we never get a true. We, yeah, we never see it, so it's just kind of like it's just kind of a non a non point. Which and then, episode seven and eight try to explain in the sense that like when one rises to the dark side, one has to match them in the light. Right, it's essentially the balance, and then by episode nine, it's just completely destroyed. <laughs> but it is one of those things where it's like 
essentially as Kylo becomes more powerful, Ray's powers will grow because they are the yin they're and com- yang yeah, they're, of the. They're kind of dictated. But I do agree there needs. Yeah, to be you more need to. Beats. You need to be able to hone it. And like, yeah. like my example with Luke, like he goes through so much training, and then his first duel with Darth Vader, mm-hmm. he gets his ass kicked. Yeah, he, does. he gets destroyed. He yeah. loses his hand. He gets stuff thrown at him with the Force so much. He is well, like he's also in that scene. He's also in Empire Strikes Back. He's fighting wrong. Like in yeah, the sense that like Yoda tells him, "You are not ready for this. Like you are going to lose. You are not trained." And exactly. he goes into the aggression, which we've always Ex- seen exactly. when the Jedi go aggressive. That's when their weaknesses are kind of exploited unless your name is ray and you swing the lightsaber around like a baseball bat true she's it still works it still works for you it still works yeah because she's got impenetrable plot armor she does i mean she's a main character it's so you know every every main character has plot there is gonna be a level of it that just has to be an inherent to this type of story. Yeah, I, I agree yeah. there needs to be more moments. But it needs to explored. be acceptable. Here's, it's again this kind of issue where it's like, it does seem like none of the people on the studio side were talking with one another. What needs to happen is episode seven should not be setting up a question of whose Ray's parents are if they're not following it through with it. A, and of course, following again through with it in episode nine yeah but basically what needs to happen so lame episode eight i like the reveal that raid nobody i like that a lot i like the fact that she's just we'll get into that scene in a second I, th- that could work if it wasn't such a huge setup. question in seven yeah episode it, seven. right the, that's the issue with it right the, that it feels pay, like such a payoff focus in episode seven that it needs to be a focus in episode eight yeah but it never come it's you like you planted such a huge crop but you only you only reaped like yeah just this little piddly which is th- why there's just not the enough criticism yeah. for me a lot of it lies on episode seven because mm-hmm. it's the one i also just like the least amount of those two between Last Jedi and Force Awakens, I just prefer Last Jedi. What I think we what really are like yeah. dichotomously opposed. Yeah, I think what has to happen in the last seven for this episode eight payoff to be significantly better is episode seven needs to replace those character beats and give us kind of those why would she be so powerful with the Force? Not even answering right. those questions, but explaining there is something very uniquely special about her in the Force because the exact second you tie them more directly into the force mm-hmm. it just lets the audience kind of accept what's happening a little bit easier right? right yeah there's a certain there's a certain level of like what you have to explain in a movie where it's like acceptable in universe where it's like vague enough that you can kind of hand wave anything away yeah which, like hand wave away any super detailed thing but there's enough rule to it that it makes sense. Yeah. Hyperdrive is a great example of that, and that's one of the yeah. other things that and we need to talk about. And that's the kind of thing with episode seven where it's just like they wave it away in the sense that they're kind of teasing that it's she's connected to somebody, so that's mm-hmm. why she's so powerful. It's like, oh, yeah, well, she's a Skywalker, so of course she's that powerful. And, yeah. of course, we find out in this movie she's not any of that, but we'll get into that in a second. Before we jump into the throne room scene, I just have to say one of my favorite underrated jokes that nobody talks about in this movie comes in the first half. And it's the Maz Kanata scene where she's like... Oh, the sex joke? No, not this. That's oh. a really funny one. I don't know why this line killed me in theaters and it kills me every time I watch it. It's when she has her blaster and you just see her shooting and they're like, Maz, where are you? 
Union disputes. <laughs> oh yeah, that that's a really funny. Union joke. dispute. I you do know, not want to know. I don't know why the idea of like the union dispute joke is so funny to me. I just had to throw it out there because it's one of my most underrated favorite jokes in that movie. <laughs> it's pretty good. But all right, let's get into because now Kylo and Ray are together on the starship destroyer. Yeah. What is the actual name of uh, Snoke's ship? I. You, Talk about the scene, and I'm going to look it up. Okay, so this is... Sorry, never mind. It's called the finalizer. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was quick. Really, really yeah. cut me off. Right there, you? sorry. Wait, that's it? That's his ship? No, like, you're right. Hang no, on. his ship's like a huge... There it there. is. Snoke's headquarters. Oh, Are the you... Supremacy. It's called ah, the Supremacy. There we go. So... Uh, this throne room scene, this is one of those scenes that Ben was talking about earlier that looks really cool with, like, the red. There's some neat uh, callbacks to, you know, Sith chambers. Yeah. Uh, and even a little bit of, like, Palpatine's quarters in the Senate. It has kind of the perfect vibe of prequel, original, and sequel all kind of fused together. Yeah, there, it's, it's like, a good marriage of, of concepts That's there. another thing I like that Johnson does where I feel mm-hmm. like he pays... He pays a lot of respect to the prequels, actually. When J.J. ignores it completely, uh, mm-hmm. Johnson does take those moments to acknowledge it. Yeah, the singular moments, I would argue not as much as, like, the overarching lore, but single agreed. moments, There are singular yes. moments where, because J.J. or Ryan's talks about where he's like, I quite enjoy a lot of the stuff in the prequels. Mm-hmm. That's why I just wanted to say, like, there are moments where it is, like, clear he is paying respect yeah. where episode seven yeah, yeah, yeah. just ignores it. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, Snoke. Yeah. Originally, I thought Snoke was just a kind of a lame red herring, mm-hmm. but I know that he is a genetically engineered strand cast, which is the name of I what he is. I wish he was is. just a red herring. Uh, really? I really just wish. I, I wanted to know he what he was. So strand cast is like a genetically modified life form that's basically being used by Sidious as a meat puppet. That is, yes, what we get in episode nine. I I hate that decision in episode nine. Really? I really hate it. You have to see the movie because it's just done poorly okay. in the movie. Okay, but maybe, like, yeah, maybe that. that Idea-wise, that's kind of cool and kind fair. of redeems the lame treatment that Snoke got in episode eight. The reason I like it but, is because, to me, Snoke is just the excuse for Kylo's fall. Yeah. That's why I like it. The fact that I like the idea that Kylo just kills the Emperor in this movie. And it's like, I am now. I am your God. Like, I am the First Order now. This isn't like that crap where it's like the the rule of two. There must always be the Master and the Apprentice. He's like, I am in charge. And I understand my vision and my goal. And I know that the... uh, the Jedi were trying to make me do one thing, and I know Snoke was trying to puppet me as well. I yeah, feel like I'm my I'm, own man. It's that kind of that Ultron line from Avengers: yeah. Age of Ultron. There I had are strings, no strings. Now I'm free. Yeah. That's what it feels like with Kylo in this character. Like he is truly now free to be who he wants to be. Yeah. By doing that act. Yeah. Get into this scene because I know you have some criticisms because <laughs> I love this scene. Uh, really quickly, this scene, he, say. Snoke says. Uh, about Rey, that she has the spirit of a true Jedi, which means that she must have collected a lot of blue studs. Yeah. She also uh, must be filled with midichlorians. Yeah. <laughs> Is midichlorians blue studs? Confirmed? Not confirmed, but 
possibly. <laughs> I'm talking about Lego Star Wars. Yeah, I know. That's what okay. I'm talking about. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Blue Maybe studs, blue midi chlorian. That's yeah. my headcanon. That's headcanon for me, too. Um, so, uh, how I've, do got the, I've got do the Lego wanna... ship in a bottle, so I've got a lot do, of midi chlorian. There's like 200 wanna... blue studs in that thing. How Do you want me to start with kind of breaking down the scene, what I like, and then you uh, go into it? Or do you want to? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do it like that. So, my favorite scene in this movie, and ah, one of my favorite scenes. There's two scenes that I love in this movie. But, oh, frick. Okay, what? we're going to have to jump back to that in a second after this throne room scene because we skipped a huge scene. The Yoda scene. Oh, we oh my gosh, there's so much to talk about. Okay, let's go with the throne. Hours. Let's go at the throne scene real quick, and then we'll jump back. Okay. The scene in question with the throne room scene, it's one of my favorite scenes. One, because we haven't talked about John Williams' score. It's always fantastic, and in love this it. scene, it's amazing. I love the swelling of music. I love Andy Serkis is just giving the performance of like a... Not a lifetime, but just one that is so, so yeah. good for just how brief he's on. Like, mm-hmm. I see you turning the lightsaber and killing, the, like, that whole yeah. sequence. I love that. I love the the only issue I have with the scene is I wish we didn't see Kylo Ren's hand move. Yeah. I wish we didn't get, like, the happening because I think that shock is way it's crazier. Sw- it's too much. Yeah, a little like, too much It's a little hold. bit too much, but it's still, regardless, a great executed scene and one of my favorite moments in star wars probably like top three like i said you get this moment where i think it's too much too much hand holding as you said Mm -hmm. the scene where the music swells and she catches the lightsaber is straight up one of my favorite scenes in the movie just pretty in the movie and just in star wars in general i think it's a great use of music character beats shock value all kind of just coming together in a perfect mm. accumulation then leading to this battle in the throne room which i know that's is where, where you're it completely gonna falls apart okay all right so this uh, battle is not as cool as i remember it being but i still like it it gets worse every time i watch it okay so uh now that snoke is dead who are the guards fighting wouldn't kylo ren now be their leader remember though snoke's still like the supreme leader so they did just watch Somebody kill their supreme leader. Uh, yeah, I guess. So I don't think they would actually turn. Yeah, on, I okay. think they would okay. turn on Kylo pretty okay. easily. Uh, so uh, the action, the action looks cool on the first viewing, and if you don't scrutinize it at all, this is a really poorly choreographed fight. Yeah, I've heard of the criticism. I understand it. What are the guards doing with the spin moves? There's Why do three much. of them go for the lightsaber when one is enough to distract and the others can go for the kill? It's a lot of too much one by one by one attack right? yeah it's not like they shouldn't be swarming mm-hmm. the the fight is drawn out it doesn't make any sense it reduces the lightsaber like i said to a baseball bat uh there's no technique to any of it which is the whole point of the lightsaber uh the dual sword guy yeah it's battling he has a disappearing sword he could have killed ray right then but oh. the plot her plot armor is so strong that it dematerializes objects i guess yeah uh, and then uh, after they defeat all these really poorly choreographed, I don't know how any of these guards got jobs. Uh. Um, so, Kylo tries to neg. Uh, <laughs> he tries to neg um, Ray into joining him. Yeah. By saying, like, your parents were nobodies, but yeah. you're not that to me. Yeah. He basically, like, tells her, hey, eat crap, but... Uh, I'm here for you, baby. Yeah. It's like, not a great strat, dude. Like, what are you doing? 
Yeah. There are, again, those moments where it just... I, I kind of agree with it. I mm-hmm. like the Ray Nobody. I like the reveal and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite part of the throne battle is the very end of it, where it's she slashes the guy, and then she throws the lightsaber to Kylo, and Kylo ignites it, and it just cuts through the guy's head. That part's cool. That's dope. That, yeah, like, that, that is part's arguably cool. just dope. Every other kill in that throne room, though, is I, so ginger. Like, it's a little slice on the leg and a little agree. slice a across little the face. Disney. Not Disney to me. It's a little <laughs> bit too much choreograph. Like, yeah. there's just too much going on where none of it, like, it looks cool in first-time appearances, but then when you look at it, it is a lot of just useless motions kind of happening. Lots kind of, of like the episode motion. three where the lightsabers are just kind of swinging, where they're just like, mm-hmm. in reality, they're actually not really connecting. Yeah. They're just kind of doing some cool moves that look cool. Yeah, and aside and aside from that little thing, there's a lot of care that goes into how those fights are choreographed. I mean, I watched some behind the scenes of like Ray Park and Obi-Wan, or mm. Ray, pa- Ray Park and Obi-Wan, Ray Park and Ewan McGregor, choreographing their Mm. fight and like everything is very deliberate and in this one it just feels like there's so many missed beats and it's like oh you're you're looking at this too closely Mm. maybe yeah but also like raise your standards yeah this is star wars this is disney funded star wars like i agree i totally agree that some of the like, to ask ask for stunt, better. Yeah. Ask some of the stunt work in that scene. The more you watch, the more noticeable some of the are an issue. Yeah, it's it's just it's just frustrating that it's it's that so many people watch that and were like, this is okay. So interestingly enough, we've actually already talked about most of the end. Yeah. So we'll maybe touch on a few points at the end again, but let's just get into there's two real big scenes left in the movie. One of them's the holdo uh holdo maneuver. Maneuver and the other one's the Yoda scene. Yes. So let's just go back cuz we skipped it is the Yoda mm-hmm. sequence in the movie. Perfect. To me it's perfect. Oh, I love it. It's, it's another it's, moment that felt extremely really. Star Wars in this movie where it's, I was missing that feeling. I love the exact second Yoda pops on to the exact second he leaves. Everything of it, for me, feels it's ex- such an original excellent. trilogy. It's excellent. Frank Oz kills it again. Uh, I love that some of my favorite lines and movies come from it. Always looking at the horizon, never here, never now. The Yoda's never like lecture. Never now. I, uh, where he's talking about the teach, the failure of teach, teacher mm-hmm. as a failure. Like, mm-hmm. yes, failure. Most of all, the greatest teacher failure is Luke uh, we are what they grow beyond. That is the true burning of all masters. That's masterful oh, Star God, Wars from so, writing. Yeah. It's mass- I literally, I don't think you could write better Star Wars dialogue than Ryan Johnson did in those four minutes. Mm-hmm. That's the sequence. It makes me think that it was written by somebody else yeah. for me. In in the wake of like all these things that don't feel very Star yeah. Wars to me, that was like, the this is the that feeling that I wanted. This whole movie. That is the four minutes to me that would probably be safe to say those are my favorite four minutes of the film. Like, yeah. it's just a beautiful Yeah, I totally sequence. agree. And totally the agree. puppetry looks great. Luke, seeing Luke and Yoda again, of course, just going to hit you right there in the feels. Mm-hmm. I just, the cinematography of them both looking at the tree as it burns and just kind of like the weight of that all. Mm-hmm. Love it. I love, again, I've already touched on the stuff I love of Luke, just the fact of him closing himself off on the force. This cave this cave on Actu is really interesting the fact that it shows each of their greatest fears that's why luke stays away from it mm-hmm. i always see that cave as a, a mirror essentially 
it shows you what is. Yeah. And for Ray, it's a bunch of basically copies of her mm-hmm. because she is alone and she only has herself. Right. And for Luke, the mirror is himself. Mm-hmm. He sees himself and himself to him is failure at this point. Right. I just, it's a quick thing, but I think that's a really interesting scene. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else to add on the Yoda Luke? No, mirror? not really. Great, great scene in a mediocre movie for me. Yeah. The Holdo maneuver. Uh, Holdo is an interesting character in the sense that it just Why doesn't... is her plan secret? It doesn't have to be. I... So much could be avoided. So much... So much drama could have been avoided if she had revealed this plan. It didn't necessitate this secrecy. This is the first time watching it that I disagree with that sentiment. Because before I was actually more on your part. There are a few things that I noticed while really paying attention to this movie. One... We have to remember Poe has been demoted from commander to captain. Yeah. Two, Holdo makes it very clear from the beginning that she does not like flyboys. Three, Poe has just done this plan where all his ships are destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. And four, there is a very big moment that I've never caught, and I don't know how I ever missed it, where Poe Dameron, the first time he meets Holdo, lies to her. Where he says, oh, I'm Commander Dameron. Mm-hmm. And then she instantly reprimands him. She's like, Captain Dameron, Commander, you're not Commander. Like, Leia demoted you. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really actually important scene. Mm-hmm. And I've never caught it. I don't know. I, I think don't, I've heard I the wasn't line. sure if, he's, if he was, like, consciously lying or if he was just so used to introducing himself as I don't Commander know what it Dameron. was either. I just, to me, that was a really important scene because it kind of solidifies this theory that I've had where Holdo doesn't trust Poe and she mm-hmm. doesn't trust the fact that there's deserters. She, they, We know that there's deserters on this ship that they're trying to get out and mm-hmm. she knows that the exact second this plan gets out, her plan becomes a failure, which ends up being Poe Dameron being the kind of hot-headed character mm-hmm. he is in this movie. The thing, fa- the Act first, think later. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, then that's, no, I that's agree. totally she fair. I, her if, failure is that she doesn't communicate well. Yeah. And then his failure especially, is he doesn't trust. If she didn't communicate it before, when she should have is when Poe is trying to stage a coup, basically. Yes. That's when and she should have been like, okay, Poe, What really here's the happened, plan, you And idiot. here's one of the biggest issues I also have with this. I think... The exact second Finn and Rose realize that, Poe kind of takes it upon himself to not tell Holdo, right? Right. He's like, she's not going to like this. They don't give her the chance to hear that plan because it's actually, it's a t- uh, one, it's a pretty bad plan. Mm-hmm. So she probably would have just said, like, this is why that's a bad plan and mm-hmm. that you get caught. But it is one of those moments where I just kind of wish they had it. But getting to the Holdo maneuver. The maneuver itself. It's dope. Like, it looks visually, visually amazing. Visually awesome. Uh, I love one of the, my favorite visuals in Star Wars. Yeah, I love the sound design too. The fact that it goes quiet for like. Yeah. I love that when you're in the theater for the first time, you sit in that quietness. Yeah, there's there's some weight to it. Uh, canonically, though, uh, it's kind of broken, and actually, the implications of it are extremely dangerous for story integrity. What she did. If we're to believe that that has never been done before mm. in the history of the galaxy, that realization 
would carry the same weight that the atomic bomb would or gunpowder or it's the same. Do we know it's never done? Yeah, it's it's never been done in anything that's recognized as canon. It's never been done. I, the galaxy gun... Because, I mean, that's a kamikaze. That's essentially what the act is. is she kamikazes the... Right, but starship. using hyperspace tech, you by doing that, you set a precedence where you would have to... You would have yeah. to... You, to would ha- you would have to really, really carefully explain why that's not doable. Or you would have to fully... If you think that you've exhausted every space battle possibility then you you have to invent a new form of warfare for the Star Wars universe where 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 planets I'm taking a lot of this from a thread that I found about the logistics of hyperspace Mm. weaponry uh, or hyperdrive weaponry you'd have planets pointing hyperdrive weapons at every other planet Mm. Uh, maybe you have a, a you know a Cold War pact. Yeah. But then what's to stop some lunatic from getting a hyperdrive and a droid, which you can get at any good spaceport, and then just, like, set it to destroy the planet that it's on, you know? Yeah. Just some lone terrorist. Yeah. And then, and then also, it's kind of not how hyperdrive is... It's not how hyperdrive works. Light speed's an in-universe colloquialism. Mm. Hyperdrive works by going into the hyperspace dimension, and hyperdrives basically find points in space that can be folded. It's basically like finding wormholes. Mm-hmm. So it finds the folds in those space, and that's why you know finishing the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs is a unit of distance, because yeah. the hyperdrive, you had to navigate... A hyperspace route mm-hmm. that took you the shortest distance and got you the closest yeah, yeah, yeah. to like a black hole or the maelstrom. Is mm. that what it's called? I, maelstrom, so the, maelstrom, I think. I think that's what it is. So there's a lot. There's a lot of. There's a, a huge amount of lore uh, regarding hyperspace that you have to seriously patch, and while visually awesome, I still love the look of this scene. It, with all that being considered, it's just you can't. It just seems like a short-sighted plot device. Here is what I will say, and I love it as an idea. It's just there I, needs one, to be it. there needs to it. be serious restrictions or I think something. Sometimes the thing that we forget as Star Wars, because I actually agree with most of the points you brought up, mm-hmm. it does bring some logistical issues. I think the big thing that we have to remember is these movies make $1.5 billion to $2 billion per release, which <laughs> means the general audience is who it's targeted for. Yeah, I guess so. Which means that scene, they don't think of the logistics of it because they're just not that tied into the universe. You and I, I are so. going to think of that. Right. That scene is simply a kamikaze execution in Star Wars, which is a really cool idea and visually amazing. Mm-hmm. That's where I think like... You have, to, like, you have to make a lot of assumptions for that to work. Yeah. I think as as someone who is as into Star Wars as yeah, you are. I. I think there's some of those issues in some of those criticisms I think are just a little unfair for The Last Jedi. For instance, people were really upset with General Akbar's death. Mm-hmm. Oh. Ultimately He got did dirty. Ultimately though, like, did he? 
Like, in the sense that, like... He deserves what is his a hero's death. No, but what is his role in Return of the Jedi? It's... We know him because he gives that line, It's a drop drop. If you ignore that line, like, that's the only thing we know of him really in Return of the Jedi. Like, he's... I mean, he's obviously in that battle, mm-hmm. that final sequence. But if you were to remove those three words, it's a trap. He didn't have that dialogue, and he was to carry over to the last Jedi, and his death was to happen. We wouldn't have thought anything of it. Like we just know it because he's such an iconic. It's a trap moment. Like so, I guess to me that's where it is. Like again, the hardcore Star Wars because we know Akbar. I love Akbar too. Like I love mm-hmm. the design. I love what they do with him in canon and stuff like that. But ultimately, that's a moment where it's like, oh, but Akbar needed to send off. Would that have actually mattered to 65 to 80% of the audience that this film's actually intended to make the money for? Yeah, I think ultimately yeah, probably you probably not, look at that scene and then you're just like, that's too yeah, much. That's, like, wh- that's one of those things that's like fake, uh, like half serious, like I'm going to get really mad about this one. But, yeah, yeah, I think people are legitimately that's, annoyed yeah, about fair. it. And to me, it's just like, I understand, like I wanted more from an Akbar death too, but I also understand like, He's not Leia. He's not Han. He's not Luke. He's not R two C three. Yeah, that's right. He he's a ter- he's a tertiary character. So we kind of right. got into the yeah. big. Scenes. I think it's time we wrap up because we are way over over two hours. Let me just finish on these two points. Yeah, it's the cinematography of Crate. I love, love. Crate looks really cool. Crate looks really cool. It doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't the resistance just hide behind that big old blast door? What yeah. are they going to do in the trenches? You're just setting yourself up to get strafed. Yeah. And everyone dies. I love the moment Luke comes out onto Crate, holding Leia's hand once more, giving her the dice. Him coming out of the fortress as it's engulfed in fire, and him coming out, and then the visual cool of moment, him yeah. standing in front of the First Order, all the ATATs, Pretty the cool. TIE fighter, and he's just staring it down. Mm-hmm. Great moment. Doesn't make logical sense, but I really like how one of the walkers kind of like Sets itself up like a sumo wrestler almost. Yes, to the point where the, I love the detail I didn't notice the first time and then the second time. It's so clear. His footprints are never red because he's not actually there. Oh, that's a good detail. Great detail. And then to the part of his death, I like the death send off. I like that it's set up really early in the movie where there's a moment where Kylo Ren talks about like, he's like, you can't be doing this to Ray. Mm-hmm. He's like, the power would kill you. So it's mm. set up right away that, like, projecting yourself to a different location mm-hmm. is such a strong OP move. Mm-hmm. And that Luke does it for the amount of time he does. It's ultimately what drains him and kills him. Mm. I mm. love the moment yeah. where he's staring off in the two suns and has finally given the galaxy a new hope. Mm-hmm. It ends him right where he starts him, right? It ends okay. him. It I, starts his journey with him looking at the two suns, wondering what the galaxy is to him ending his journey that's that's going through that's defensible so oh. those are my big points okay on the last shot my last on. yeah my last point uh where like the remaining 20 resistance members are on the falcon uh-huh. everyone is in very high spirits mm-hmm. and they should not be because of all they suffered such heavy losses i think they should not be in i such think it's spirits. the idea of it hope they i think the moment where they feel crushed where that kind of weight of what's happened is the moment where Leia sends out the distress speaking mm-hmm. and nobody comes to their aid mm-hmm. and she's like the galaxy has lost all of its hope and then that's when Luke Skywalk restores it. I think him 
doing that is kind of symbolic of the resistance having hope that one they survived mm-hmm. another they, day. Yeah, maybe they shouldn't be as jovial, but there should be like at least there a little bit like, of a glimmer of hope yeah, that you can like, sense, but it's not so like everyone's hugging and laughing. Yeah. Like that's not a hugging and laughing. No, thing. it's not. It's a little bit more somber, but I yeah. ultimately I like the idea that like the hard moment comes with them feeling the hope lost mm-hmm. and then it's the hope restored. They feel it again. I like that moment. Right. So with that, I that's think we're the last done. Jedi. Yeah. Uh, very last thing. Lots of good memes in there. Yeah. Loves, I love Swole Kylo Ren. Great. Classic. Great. Ben Swole is amazing. Handsome man. Do All we right. quick on... Yeah, great real quick... Uh, we'll just do a minute each. Great to be! Yeah, one of us is in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not worried about saying it because I know she doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> yeah, and I know I, she'll never listen to a true yeah. uh, and a half hour Star Wars. No, not she a chance. She will never listen to this. Not a chance. Never. Yeah, we've we've been going for a little long. Yeah. And I... She's she's totally justified. Yeah, she's she's lovely and amazing, my, and she's totally right. Yeah, my, we went long and we and, were started recording late. Our yeah, fault. Yeah, we'll have to start doing. If we know we're going to be talking long, <laughs> we should probably start pushing this closer yeah. to seven instead of probably starting. Yeah, recording we've never talked eight. about Hercules for this long. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. I'll let you go first. What is the one character that has? No real name, like in the sense that, of course, in this visual dictionary, you'll be able to find their name, but you don't know it off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. Who should get a a Star Wars story? Like the movie, like Solo, a Star Wars uh, story, or Rogue One, a Star a Wars no story. A no-name character? A no-name character. And you know what we're bringing back? We're bringing back the switcheroo, where oh. I tell you the answer. Oh, I forgot about that. So, yeah, I know. I totally forgot about that until I was listening to some of our old podcasts. I was like, that was a segment we used to try to <laughs> Why is it the guy who is on crate, licks the salt, spits it out, <laughs> and says, salt? Screw you. That's so why difficult. Should, why should he get the movie? Salt guy? Salt guy. Um, salt bay. <laughs> Uh, that that actually sounds like a Star Wars name, Salt, salt Bay. Star Wars story. Uh, so why salt, does Salt, salt Bay? Get us, why does Salt who Bay? Who is get played us? by Gareth Edwards, who directed Rogue One? Hey, yeah. there we go. So why should Gareth Edwards, a director, get us? So Gareth Edwards' character. Yeah. Uh, well, you're doing can, that. I'm gonna look up the name of that character. I can kind of envision him being, you know, a sort of almost like a scoundrel, sort of like Han. Mm. Uh, but he would have to do something that we haven't really seen mm. before. I'm thinking. I have a pitch for you. When I'm you're done. thinking maybe he's, uh, you know, he he started off in like a core world and saw, kind of the, the, the downfall of the empire mm. when he was a little younger and, you know, he's been trying to make it after, you know, this this diaspora, I guess of of characters, but. I don't know. That's a really hard pitch. Um, he would have to. It would have to be something really cool. Maybe like a mechanic that gets, you know, pulled into this war, and then he has to like smuggle different uh, machine parts. I don't know if yeah. you could do a full story about it. Maybe like a one-off episode of I like had the an Rebels. Episode. I had a TV show pitch for him. Okay, go right ahead. Now. One, I love Ryan Johnson because his name is Sergeant Quote Salty. Sharp. Salty sharp. Salty sharp. I love it. Damn it. I love it. I love the fact that he's, they just, 
that's a great moment of Ryan Johnson just getting humor in there that doesn't need that isn't in the movie. I love it. Salty Shark. It's so good. My pitch for him is each episode he goes to a different planet, puts something of the planet in his mouth, and then spits <laughs> it out and says it. Endor. Wood. <laughs> Tatooine. Sand. Hot. Snow. <laughs> Coruscant. Ah! Fire! <laughs> Musta... No. That'd be Sorry, Mustafar, you're, Mustafar, yeah. you're right. Coruscant. Dexter. <laughs> Dexter. <laughs> Camino Saberdart. Oh, that's good. Death sticks. <laughs> that's the plot. That's it. That's, that's it. That's the plot. I love... It's like, um... That's, that's uh, been the it's plot. like Andrew uh, or no Salty Sharp is it's him like going Andrew to Z- Anthony Bourdain yes it's it's literally abroad. a cooking show but he's just like going around and tasting the different things. I kind of love that that's actually hilarious alright here's mine Salty for Sharp, you Salty Sharp a Star Wars uh, story Ryan Johnson has gone on record saying that he stands by every choice he made in this film and wouldn't change a thing what is one thing you would change to make the story better you can either do one scene or one aspect I think I already talked about this the scene that I would change is it's not a change to like a certain scene. It's adding a few more character be- beats between Finn and Rose because ultimately that's the part that I think yeah. is the weakest. If I, I had to actually take I agree with you. It's one totally scene the weakest. and change it, I would simply cut down the Cantobite stuff and give more focus to DJ's political leaning. Like, yeah that talk i think that philosophical discussion of war is so prevalent in the film uh that i think it needs more justice so that yeah. is my answer what's yours um i'm i'm re-choreographing that throne room you scene are? okay it, right. it's just it's just it just seems lazy yeah it's all spectacle but no meat Fair. Uh, which totally is fair. which is a common complaint that I've had where it's all it's all fluff, no meat to yeah. it. So I, that's it. That's our big ass podcast episode on the last jet. That's our longest by far. We We're, set a new record. I know. We did it. And all we'll right. be back next week for Dune with Josh Whitney. Alright. Stay Dune twenty twenty one. Stay frosty, boys yep. and girls. May the force be with you. Yeah, there we go. Always. May the force be with you. Give me that same intro and hit it a little bit deeper. That's it. Slightly higher. Not my tempo. There we go. Are we live? <laughs> I'm keeping all that in. I'm refusing to say because <laughs> I wanted to lead it. <laughs>